Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Grimecast. As always, I'm Not Chucks, and with me, as always, your loquacious co-host, Brabied. My loquita co-host, sir. That's offensive. Only until you learn how to read, and that it becomes essential. <laughs> it does. Also, um, vaguely sexy. Not sure how that works, but it's there. I, uh, I was giving shit to uh, my sergeant when I was telling the going to the training because the school we had to go to, we were doing training in a school. Um, I know we have a lot of European uh, listeners. So for those, uh, for us police here, we have to do training on active shooters and stuff. So we did it in the old school close to where I live in a town right above me. And it happened to be where my sergeant came from. And it looks like a school from where like the twenties. So it's all run down, beat up and everything. Hallways are like made out of, Berber carpet, so it's real old. Painting super nasty. Chalkboard on the wall, no whiteboards. So I uh, decided to mess with them, and I asked. I was like, hey, what was it like writing on, you know, tablets and utensils, and when you parted the Red Sea, was it uh, fun? Yeah, needless to say, he intentionally shot me when we had the opportunity. <laughs> but uh, speaking uh, of... Sp- uh, well, you should probably say he shot you with a with a practice firearm. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, this guy's going away, kablamo. Yeah, yeah. He, so we, we have what they call sim rounds. Sim rounds are plastic rounds with paint on the end. It's kind of like a paintball, but it hurts, and it leaves a nice scab slash wound on the back of you if you're not wearing body armor. Luckily, he shot me where my body armor was. And then uh, when I was doing... <laughs> well, he thought about doing the other thing. He thought about, you know, his neck is nice and exposed. Uh, we had mask on, so it would have protected it. The one spot I don't like getting shot is my junk. That hurts. I got shot uh, and twice. How explicit is the junk shooting? If you get shot in the junk, it's not by accident, is it? Uh, no, it was by accident. So I had to do. So for here in the states, uh, I don't know about every other state. You're required to um, go through a certain training uh, to become a standard officer. So it's normally known as post police officer standard training, and it's like a basic training essentially. Um, for us, it's eleven weeks. I had to go through eight weeks because I was going through on COVID. But during that time, you go through the same thing. You have to go through a scenario where you have to shoot somebody. Uh, I, my partner, was the girl I was up there with. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to try to aim for your upper back where it doesn't hurt. So she did that on me, hit me in the lower back. And then on the front, I was like, I'll try to aim for your arms or your legs. Uh, I was like, would you shoot me? Just don't shoot me around my junk. She shot all around my junk and hit me twice in the nuts. Again, I'm not I'm not hearing the part where it's an accident. It's, it's pretty explicitly, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So... My grouping's solid. Check this out. Your grouping is solid, but you got to think when. So these are stressful situations. They're like it isn't. So you're supposed to go at them like ah, I'm coming at you. So you have to do it. So it's not like oh, I got time to aim. It's oh shit, pull aim, pow 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 pow. Um, and that's what she Wait, did. Why do you even? Why why does aim a component? Not just at pull that close. Yeah. Just pull and shoot. That's what essentially she did, and. Uh, I will say my inner thigh and my nuts hurt for about a couple days, and my back was all scabbed up. She actually had a nice grouping one on my back. Um, she had a, a triangle, so it's a very, very fine grouping there, so good job on her. She's also Army, so she gets to shoot every time she goes out for training. This is the part of the conversation where I say, oh, interesting. Uh, as a woman, she knows how to attack the genitals and backstab. Indeed. These seem to be naturally gifted abilities. Yeah, I, I believe the peop, the few that I've seen that listen in Europe um, are from Belgium and Ireland. Um, 
I don't those know. Those are those are neighbors, right? They're right next to each other. Right. One's in the mainland. One's right next to the uh, England and Wales. Oh shit! They ain't neighbors. Okay. Yeah, they ain't neighbors. Ge- geog- geography's hard. It, indubitably. Um, I also I, wanted to really point out how you said, "Yeah, you know, just uh, we got to take like trainings on school shootings and stuff." And stuff. I mean, how much more marginalized can you make that? It's not a huge thing. Just sometimes uh, you know, a kid gets a hold of a firearm and wants to let his friends know he disagrees on their takes on his social media posts. So, well, there's that. Yeah, we have to. So we have to go. Like that's the one thing I wish we got more of was active shooter training. I think we at least need twelve to twenty hours a year doing that. So at least every three to four months going through a four to five hour training instead of three hours every year just to meet standards. Um, because that situation happens a lot, uh, especially close to where I live. We had an officer killed on his, an active, well, it wasn't an active shooter. He did get shot on a pullover. We got the guy, but um, those things happen. So to be put in stressful situations and to learn from those stressful situations, I think would help a lot of officers. Uh, I don't know how every other state is with the state I live in. Um, but I wish we would get more of that. And I know my lieutenant is trying to have us start doing that by going down once every few months and making us run, be stressed out, put us in stressful situations, and have us shoot, and we have to make qualifying scores. Well, hell, it could save you a lot of time. It's okay, get get in the range, all right? Line up your shot, then he hits you with the truck at like 15 miles an hour. Because, <laughs> all right, get up and shoot. Uh, that's pretty stressful it is a car hit me get watch watch your recoil <laughs> but no i understand and you're firing um if this is not classified information um no. are, are you firing uh nine millimeter 45s uh 223 so uh we uh, what is it 526 is nato rounds i believe so 223 long rifle uh six hour m400s it's based off the m16 ar platform uh, single fire is what we use, so they base the sim rounds that we use on that one, uh, and then our pistols are uh, mine's a Glock twenty seven. Um, but it, which caliber? It's a nine millimeter. Okay, so the reason I ask is is uh, the logic is follow up sequential shots, or pull fire and be aware there's like a two second window where your next shot will miss. So I don't get me wrong. I get why people say officers need to be trained to shoot in legs. So like, oh, we need less lethal situations. But you, would, I, I would love to put the people that say that in the shoes that we're in. Even when we're taught, we're taught two to the two to the body, one to the head. That's what you're taught. You, they, you're, hey, if you're in a situation like this and it's a shooter, two to the chest or gut area, torso, one to the head to make sure he is down. You do not give them that opportunity. And to try to imagine, especially a smaller target maybe minus the upper part of the thigh, and you're in a stressful situation, the guy's got a gun or something, and then you try shooting him in the leg. I think a lot of people forget, too, there's main arteries that run down your leg, especially on the upper part of your thigh. At Uh, least a couple, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how a football player died on a home invasion. The guy came in, kicked his door in, football player grabbed a machete. It's like 3 in the morning. The guy shot him in the leg. Why? (laughs) Examine that phrase. Yes, it's true. Yes, that happened. The football player grabbed a machete in response to a home invasion. He There's did, a story there. There's context there. Yeah, the guy was a hell of a football player, too. His name was Sean Taylor. I believe he died in 2006, 2007. Um, Eddie? What is this, fucking Arkham Horror? Why is that the thing next to his bed? I don't I don't know. But It would be funny if it were a shovel. You can deal damage with a shovel. I reached over, and I pulled out my balloon hammer. What? <laughs> <laughs> weaker, weaker. 
And then you beat a man to death with a balloon hammer. No one made jokes about you ever again. Yeah. It's sad. Don't get me wrong. I, I feel bad for Sean Taylor. He was a hell of a football player and his wife. Um, and he just had a son. I think his son was six months or eight months old. So it's uh, terrible, to, terrible thing to happen. But he grabbed a machete because he didn't know. He just heard someone rustling through the house. As he went to the door, the guy kicked the door in and the guy saw him with the machete. So the guy shot him. But in a panic situation, the guy shot him in the leg and it cut his main artery. Uh, they had him there. They thought they could save him, but they couldn't stop the bleeding, which, you know, sucks. And that's, I think people would still get upset at the end of the day if we did that. If we're in a situation like a shooter or something and we people are like, hey, you don't need to kill him. We shot him in the leg and he bled out anyways. It's like. The officers on the scene did everything they could. They tried shooting the wound closed. They tried stomping the veins closed. It didn't work. Um, it was just it was just nature's way of saying it was this time. I, I tell you about one of the girls I went through mandate with. No, but I, I'd like to hear it because I'm sure it'll be a, a, a whopper of a story. It is indeed. So I go to mandate, and there's this girl there. She's from a city Wait, up you're north. Dating, you're dating men now? No, uh, she went. No, <laughs> yes, mandate. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> for the listeners, you know. Yeah, I got you. Thank you for the dad joke. I needed that. Yeah. Um, but what happened was is she got on a call. So it's in this big city that they call the police vehicles. They call them a, they call them Peachtree limousines and their golf carts because everybody up there is rich. So I guess she was driving around and she hit a deer or somebody flagged down because there was a hit deer. And they're like, okay, well, you need to. She's like, oh, I have permission to shoot the deer and kill it. Yeah. They gave her permission. Well, she missed, and then it proceeded to beat the deer to death with their fucking baton on the side of the road. <laughs> and, like, in horror as people drove by. I guess it was at night, but people drove by and saw her, and she's just whacking away at it. And uh, she just... Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess she called out, and somebody came out there and finally put the deer out. And I guess a couple months later, uh, same similar situation... I believe the story goes on this one. She hit the deer this time. Um, she's chasing the deer through a cornfield and into the woods. And she just calls out shots fired. And they're like, oh, fuck, where are you at? She's like, I'm in a cornfield. <laughs> they're like, where the fuck is the cornfield? I don't know. Panicking, trying to chase this deer down that she like Terry Tate office linebacker lit up in the middle of this highway and chasing it down like she's fucking Rambo or some prehistoric man. Wow. Yeah, and she so she got yeah. lost in the middle of the cornfield. It took him like two hours to get to her. This, this These stories don't make it to press release. <laughs> they don't, uh, which is nuts. Uh, but speaking of uh, scary, spoopy things, it's that time of the month, sir. It is October, the month for Halloween. I was going to say, for the transition, we really, if you hadn't leapt to the uh, mauling a deer to death with, with police equipment, I was going to try and piggyback off the quarterback to say, speaking of uh, dearly departed people, yeah. uh, but your, yours is class here. October is, uh, it's a fantastic month because that is when the finest Bavarian sausages and beers uh, are, oh wait, shit, you're not talking about Oktoberfest, you're talking about the, the the other thing with the spiders? What's that all about? Spiders? Oh, yes. Uh, you, you're talking about, uh, what is that, Eight-Legged Freaks, right, that movie? Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, yeah, David Arquette at his prime. That and Evolution. Pretty solid. That was actually a pretty good movie. I did like that one. Um, yeah, no, so it's a, it's a spoopy time of the year. So when horror comes big, uh, Spirit Halloweens pop up here in the U.S. where every closed Toys R Us used to be, or Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, you're not wrong. 
No. For sure. Uh, we don't have one this year here in my town. I haven't seen one yet. Because all this, all because I live in the south, and so when a place closes, it doesn't just sit there. It gets turned into like a big lots, a dollar's general, uh, a dollar tree. Um, How do you feel family dollar? When, you, when you leave a we're all broke store? And you walk out of the front doors and you look across the street and you see another we're all broke store. How do you deal with that psychologically? I understand where some of them are. Yeah, I get it. Um, your poor side of town. Yeah, there's like one every few feet. And that makes sense. Like I- I'm okay walking out of a liquor store and seeing a liquor store. That that's congruent in my mind. But the the leaving dollar general to be met with a family dollar just because they're legally distinct, that's far more horrifying to me. Uh the best part about here is uh I, I like the way it works here. Um you have a, a church, a McDonald's, a Burger King, Family Dollar, Waffle House, Dollar General. <laughs> Don't get the Waffle House. Yes. <laughs> dollar General. Uh, church, and then it just repeats. <laughs> but just just add a couple different things. That's how the town I grew up in literally works. And uh, when I was very, very small, I remember the town uh, being a lot of farmland. So close to where you live, like right outside near uh, Graham and everything. Uh, like that. I remember it being like that. Cotton fields, peach orchards, uh, pecan orchards. And then within like a 10-year period, shit started blowing up. And then now, 10 years after I left and I've come back... Uh, Family dollars have blown up, and everybody's moving out of town and going to the, like, oh, shit, we need that country life again. We need to move out of here and develop this area. Like, no, no, no. This is not how this works. This is good for me. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that is is terrifying to see that, actually, sometimes. Uh, I get on certain parts of town, but when you're in the good side of town, uh, there's no need to have uh, four dollar stores in one area. Um, But I'll I'll get back to that. I take a lot of solace in the kind of humor that fans continue with in the realm of Mech Warrior, Battletech, and all that, since it is canonical that General Motors has survived long enough to make it to the fourth millennium, and they were responsible for producing certain components of mechs and battleships across their entire span. So the company has evolved and grown, but it's still GM. Is it? The, the, the questions were raised, what other companies and franchises will be able to survive the coming ages. Well, and the fan base unanimously decided, yeah, Waffle House will still be around. Absolutely. I don't care what planet it is, some backwater wasteland, there will be a Waffle House because you need them. So here's the thing. Have you heard of the Waffle House severity spectrum? Please teach me about this. I, I haven't. So in a case of an emergency situation, uh, you know it's bad when the when the Waffle House Spectrum's on red, because that means the Waffle House is closed, either A, because it's damaged, or B, because the workers' houses got destroyed. But during Katrina, the only time that's actually happened is during Katrina. There was the big hurricane, uh, tornadoes in Joplin, Missouri, and in Alabama, and they only got put to yellow because the only Waffle House was doing pickups during the fucking tornado. Yeah, I was about to say, Waffle Houses don't close down because they're damaged or on fire. They just contain that piece of the Waffle House and keep on slinging waffles. Have you ever been in a so, Waffle yeah. House? Once. It was memorable. So if you've been to one Waffle House, you've been to all Waffle Houses. I feel I'm that aware. If... I'm aware. It's like a hotel room. <laughs> it is. I feel like when one gets destroyed, they're just like, well, fuck, this is still good stuff. Hey, just take the shit and move it to the new location. We're using the toilets there, too. Like, ugh. <laughs> to, make, to make a 40K joke, do you remember what a standard concert template is? 
I remember remember of it. I don't remember what it is though. Well, the the idea being that there's it's it's basically a supercomputer or a limited artificial intelligence that knows how to make one thing out of whatever you give it. So if you give it a whole bunch of uh, cat dander and dirt, it'll say, "Yeah, I can still make this happen," and it will give you that. Just imagine you come across an SDC for a Waffle House. We can make these things fucking anywhere. Um, <laughs> now, uh, to answer your question, what businesses will survive? Waffle House can't survive, sir. Demolition Day has already stated, or Demolition Man has already stated that Taco Bell will win the great, uh, what is it, the great food wars uh, of... The, the chain food wars, yes. Well, <laughs> that's true. Taco Bell was the winner of the great fast food wars. But Waffle House is not fast food. Waffle House is an institution. It is basically a small church because its flock will gather there at regular periods, pay homage, and speak the holy words as they shovel carbs into their face at four in the morning because what the fuck is life anyway? You got to speak the holy words of, I need it smothered, covered, and chunked, and scattered, please. Ah, triple order. And then as you bow, and then they bring it to you, and then you smother it and catch up. That's if you're new. That's if you're new. If you're a staple, if you're a regular... If there's a warping in a chair that is uh, exclusively from your asshole because you've pressed it in so much and so heavily, you just make a series of grunts, and those grunts are intelligible to the staff. Because, again, I-, I don't think the turnover is very high at a Waffle House. Once you're in, you're in. No, it's the same. I- oh, I- I- I've become so frequent at the bar that... Uh, so I had a buddy move back in town. I think I told you about this uh, at the end you of did, yeah. last month. Or, excuse me, August. And uh-huh. uh, we've gone to the bar frequently, and after the first few times, they, they were like, hey... We don't know you. Give us this. After a bit, the guy was just like, no, I know you're good for it. I know what you do, so you're going to pay. Uh, here's your spit cup, uh, because I do the uh, dippy of tobacco, um, which sooner or later is going to cause my jaw to fall off, and I'll have to talk to you like Ebert. Um, and they every time I come in, oh, the usual? Do you want your shot of crown apple with a red Bull, a yellow Red Bull? Like, damn. Or do you want a Guinness or Sam Adams? Like, damn it, you guys, I've only been here a month, and you guys already know what the hell I want. Like, I need well, to stop. Because, typically speaking, the Waffle House audience, once is enough. You come back a second time, you're a brave man. You come back a third time, you're committed, you're in. You're a lifer. Oh, dude, I've, oh, man. Waffle House was the place to go for my drunk ass Went from, like, 16 to 21. I, I don't mean to take that away from you, but do you think that's an unique experience? For people in the South, yeah. The yeah, unique experience. Uh, well, no, here, like it's 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 what you do. Waffle House. We we covered this a minute ago. What is yeah. wrong with you? Yeah, no, it's not actually. It's not unique because everybody from, hmm, I think Oklahoma was the last state, or Arkansas was the last state that had the closest Waffle House when I lived in uh, Washington, and that was disappointing uh, because getting hammered and going to a Waffle House at four in the morning is just a staple of what you do in the South here in the U.S. Uh, it's just something you you have you have to do like all right i'm drunk what's open i can either for me i can either drive 30 minutes and hopefully not get arrested and go to denny's <laughs> i or, gotta drive this buzz off or i can take my happy ass and walk it 10 feet and there's a fucking waffle house and if i don't like that waitress i'm 90 percent sure there's one right down the road too oh guess what that's not even right down the road it's two blocks over fuck off i can walk to both um and that was just kind of the thing and you go i always went in and everybody's going to be disgusted with this. Uh, but I used to get mine, and you're probably going to be like, you sh- should be dead. Uh, triple triple order hash browns, scattered, because that's how you do it. Some people like to put them in like the, the egg round thing and get it that way. I like mine scattered. I like it like where it's covering the size of a uh, a dinner plate. It's that huge. 
Um, and it's only like 400 calories, which is pretty amazing, but it's potatoes, uh, with tomatoes, mushrooms, onions, cheese, ham, bacon, sausage, sausage gravy, chili, hot sauce, and ketchup. Okay, that, that, that's a great appetizer. What else is on the plate? Nothing. If I didn't get that, I got the patty melt. Chicken patty melt. I, I didn't like the again, when you said it's only 400 calories, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's an entree or an appetizer. Where's the real business? No, that's well. By the time I got done with it, it was about a uh, two thousand calorie. There you go. Yeah. So if you just get a triple order, I think it says on the menu it's five hundred calories, four or five hundred calories. Um, so when I went vegan uh, this time last year, uh, yes, I went completely vegan for a whole month. Lost thirty. Wow. I like dropped down to. Uh, I lost. Well, before I went to mandate, it was two forty eight. I got out two fifteen, and I dropped down to two hundred going vegan. So that's where I would eat because I had nowhere to go and I was on night shift. Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. So you could get onions and all that and it's still good, man. You put a ketchup on it, some pepper. I don't know what it is about it, man. I don't know if they like leave the 20 plus years of grease from the oven that's been from the original Waffle House uh, on there. I don't, I don't know what it does, but man, it, it tastes good, even sober. Chicken patty, melt. chicken patty melt, though, went away and I'm uh, disappointed. I love the chicken patty melt. Um, it's, chicken patty melt at a waffle house yep so uh are you ready for what it is yeah i'm I'm braced my hand is on my genitals as we speak yeah yeah it's, you're gonna laugh at this it's uh just a small piece of chicken patty with uh two pieces of toasted bread with some cheese melted on top of it and that's it wait i already have two questions one chicken patty is that ground chicken formed into a patty or it's a cut of chicken breast it's just a chicken breast it's a whole chicken breast Okay, and then you said cheese on top, so they they sandwich the chicken and they put cheese on top of the bread. <laughs> no, 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 they put chicken. Excuse me, they cheese put the cheese on top of the chicken and they melt it a little bit. They cook it, cut it in half, and then they put it on your uh, buttered bread, and then they hand it to you. And I would get uh, mayo and hot sauce, to, uh, the, uh, specifically Tabasco sauce because that's what they carry. And Tabasco is pretty good. Not Cholula. Tabasco. The, I, I ask these questions because you are trying to transcribe verbally the picture in your mind that your hands and tongue know. So it's very intimate to you. So I have to challenge those parameters and say, okay, here's what the fuck you just said. Here's how those pictures don't match. You could Technically, you could put the cheese on top if you wanted to. It'd still come out the same. It's just two pieces of bread with the it's, chicken breast. Would it? It would. Be, well, your fingers would be sticky, but you know, by that yeah. point, you've spilt beer on them and everything, so your fingers are going to be sticky anyways. <laughs> Fair but, enough, fair enough. But uh, back to the spoopies, because uh, we <laughs> keep divulging. It is that time of the month, guys. So like I said, it's well, October for us. Um, well, it, it, it is spoopies, because Waffle House are pretty spoopies. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. But Halloween, though. Halloween, indeed. Uh, so it's that time for horror films, horror shows, Walking Dead to return for its final season. Uh and, uh, you know, well, trick-or-treating and candy. The Walking Dead will come back for one season, and the Shambling Dead will unveil their, their first season. <laughs> and the Crawling Dead and the Wriggling Dead. And it, fuck, there's still money to be made. Do it. The Stephen Hawkings. I've, I've always wondered about that. What happens to like somebody like Stephen Hawking? Do they just they still roll their wheel, wheelchair everywhere? Or do they just drag themselves? Okay. Or he couldn't, te- he couldn't <laughs> <What>? technically. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hang on. This is, this is where we have to do the thing where we have to apply a modicum of science to the fantasy of whatever monster we're imagining. The argument that the paralyzed person cannot move their body is either rooted in the muscular dystrophy mm-hmm. or 
nervous disconnect. The nerves don't get the signal, the body doesn't move, and then it decays over time. But as we have discussed, that zombies can just defy reality, never rot, never need to eat, really, or just compelled by whatever the fuck. My argument is that the people who can't use their bodies will be able to use their bodies. Because the signaling, the pathing, is, is further deeper in the spine, I think. So the walking, the shambling, the crawling, and the groaning, that all comes from your friend, the, uh, the ancient reptilian brain. Mm-hmm. If that's damaged, yeah, sure, body never move. But I don't think that it is. So for someone like Stephen Hawking, who would spend, I'm not even sure how long of his life, let's say half or more, not being able to control their body, which is a nightmare, if you think about it. Uh, if they could be sapient during undeath, then perhaps they would discover the joys of lurching towards your nearest prey. But without any restraint, just blur. There you go. Not to bring up the topic from the last episode, but Terry Shriver. Well, good question, and probably yeah, because if we're talking about comatose episodes, that's a different set of processes that leaves you unable to render any judgment or, or, or operation within the world. So if suddenly that body gets zombie juice, that body gonna shamble towards you with basic motor skills to try and bite you, because that's the only directive that's there based on the fantasy we've created about zombies. Except for all the other where the undead can be intelligent. So that that destroys that. But if we're talking walking deadies, yeah, why not? Terry Shivo crawling after you, try to gum your ass. (laughs) Um, But before we started, we were talking about Halloween. That's why we wanted to hit to this topic. Um, You were wondering why in a Christian society here in like the U.S., as we so proudly claim for some reason, um, that we celebrate a pagan holiday about the dead, and we're not Catholic. We don't, and we're not. Well, we are close to one Catholic Latino country that worships. Uh, well, that would be the first of November, I believe, is Dios de los Muertos, uh, if I said that correctly. Um, close enough. Yeah, close enough. I'm, I'm white. I, I don't speak Spanish. Um, <laughs> you hang out in the Waffle House. That this has been established. Yeah. Um, why do we do it? Um, I will let. I want. I want to hear more from you, and then I'll explain why I enjoy the holidays. This holiday season. This. October, I enjoy the whole month, and then Christmas, why I enjoy it. Okay. okay. So here's my context. I am an immigrant. I came from Russia. I grew up a lot here, but never, ever, ever could I understand why Americans love the scary movies so much. My context was, life is pretty scary already. You don't have to make up new fake shit to be spooked out of. I mean, yeah, I grew up enjoying Predator. And Alien, those were spoopy films based on a science fiction concept that at least had something to do with human nature. But then all the Amityvilles and the Chainsaw Massacres and the hauntings and the the, the spoopy ghosts, that could never, ever bring itself to me in an enjoyable format. I, I saw it, I understood it, and thought, why are you afraid of the fake thing, though? The same way my wife was completely unfazed by John Carpenter's The Thing, her brain said, oh, uh, spooky space predator is fake, therefore not scary. Interesting, but not scary. But, oh, that candlestick just moved. Ghosts! For some reason, that's scary to an audience, and that stimulates something deep within them. So, part of me thought, okay, the populace really wants spooky movies because life is so good, actually. You have to invent shit to be scared about. And so Halloween, to me always seemed very contradictory, where 
people would say certain things on some days of the week, like Sunday, but then they would be totally supportive of Halloween's practices of, um, let's call it wearing attractive costumes, if you're a, a, a feminine type person, or wearing stupid costumes, if you're a man type person. But it's not cosplay. That's different. That's weird. That's Japanese. We don't like that. And then you, t- you teach kids to never talk to strangers, but on one day of the year, you say, go knock on that stranger's door and ask for stuff, because that's okay. Today, you get a pass. Today, it's okay. All of these incongruences never really allowed me to enjoy the experience. And I went trick-or-treating maybe twice, and never really wanted to go back, because even though I received candy, I began to understand, this is not good candy. It's a lot like shopping at a clearance section of a store you don't visit. Yeah, the value savings are great. You can buy all the stuff that you didn't want before you found yourself here. But 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 look at the savings. So because of all of this, Halloween has been largely inaccessible to me as an enjoyable proposal. More like I have to sustain and tolerate that the the society has drank enough pumpkin spice Kool Aid to think, oh, it's October. Let's uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta do the spoopies. Make sure the titties are very visible. No nipples. That's lewd. Never show nipple. But as much titty as you can muster. You too, Roger. Roger, put the costume on. I want to see them titties. That's more or less my thesis at this moment. So, uh, how would you like to prove that I'm super wrong and the Catholics actually have the truth of it all? Uh, The Catholics do not have the truth of it all. Um, But they worship dead people! Well, almost every... Well, no. Buddhists don't worship dead people. (laughs) Mm-mm. Hey Chucks. Uh, yeah. Hey Chucks. Hey Chucks. Yes. Yeah. Buddhist walks up to a hot dog stand. And? The owner asks him, "What do you have?" What does the Buddhist say? I'm not sure. Make me one with everything. Uh, I I read that the other day on uh, dad jokes on Reddit. I laughed. Uh, that's actually really good. But, I like that dad joke. Oh, it's it's a fucking catastrophic dad joke, but it comes off as ha ha yeah. Because like, but at the same time, if strung out man comes up to hot dog stand, and the guy says, "What well, what are you having?" and the guy says, "I want to be nothing," that doesn't land the same way, does it? No. I want to not exist. I want to die. But if you can just spray some Dijon mustard at my face while I go, that'll be that'll be okay. Um. Anyway, happy thoughts. Halloween chucks, Buddhists. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will not say you're wrong. Um, I enjoy trick-or-treating up until I was probably about my daughter's age, and she's getting to that point, too, where she no longer likes it. Um, I went from when I was real little until I was about 10 to 12. Um, And it's not bad. The biggest difference here is you get cheap candy, but then you get, like, one in every three to four houses that will give you, like, you know, Bible verses with, like, a Snickers on it that's, like, go with God. And it's just like, okay, a little unnecessary, but I got gotcha. you. Cool. It, it makes sense. If I'm giving you free shit, here's my agenda. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, it's good, good on you. I, I'm not reading it. I'm tossing it. I'm a kid. Kids aren't going to read that. Um, my reason well, for... Chucks, Chucks, even you say seven no's and a yes is still a yes. <laughs> Miss James Bond. Always humping and dumping. Uh, um, my reason for liking it is, isn't for the spoopies i like i enjoy scary movies throughout you know oh you're here for the titties then no i'm not here for that either i enjoy the change of seasons 
Um, so fall, when I was a kid, climb, if you believe in climate change or not, that's your choice. I'm not going to talk you for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. When I was a kid around Halloween, it would get cold. And I enjoyed being out in the cold where it's cooler. It's not hot. You just got done playing baseball. You're going into basketball. Um, scary things are coming up. And I, like I said, I enjoy scary movies. I didn't as a kid, though. I was really terrified of the Crypt Keeper and other horror movies. Um, didn't like them. But as I became an adult, I just like the psychological difference on everything, like what's going to happen. Um, and so that, to me, Halloween just signifies of changing of a season and reminding me of better times and fun that I had. Uh, I love playing baseball, but then it was basketball season or it was football season. It was something that was going on next. And then I could hang out with my friends. We could go out. We can, you know, we didn't have to worry about sweating our butts off and staying inside. Um, okay. And now so with Temperature and fellowship are, are the main pieces here I'm hearing. Yeah, right now. And now with my kids, uh, unfortunately with my job, I could I can't go trick-or-treating with them anymore. Um, but you know, even with my old job, I couldn't do it. Oh, actually, I wonder, do, do you get more candy if you're flashing a flashlight at the person opening the door? <laughs> no. Can you, can you intimidate them into bigger uh, sharings? Trick-or-treat. Give me some candy. I should do that. No, I'm kidding. Trick or treat. No, thank you. I have a warrant. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> uh, like U.S. Marshals show up in a chicken costume. Oh, that's that's a mm, that's a good movie. Oh, I thought <laughs> one of the movies I recently watched. Uh, um, we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, we will. Uh, it, it and I, for me, when I watch scary movies, it brings me to that time of the year. Um, like I said, I've always enjoyed horror movies from when I became like a mid-teen. So like. 13, 14 area, early teen, I should say, actually, sorry. Um, and, and to see those and to see the different types of uh, things they can do with horror movies, it isn't about the gore. Sometimes you get to see interesting deaths, uh, like audition. Well, I, got, I got to pause you there for a second. Because mm -hmm. as far as I understand, the character of the Crypt Keeper was a, oh, 10 to 15 age range intended audience character, right? Yes, he was originally... Was it William Sadler who voiced him, or was it somebody else? It wasn't William Sadler. Well, the, the reason I ask is because this this is a marquee host character that's supposed to be an um, intermediary between short stories, right? The, 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 the show opens on the dude, and the dude says, welcome audience, uh, here's some bit jokes, now on to today's story. It's a dungeon, there's a cauldron... I, but I need to ask you to try and form a bridge outside of, yeah, this happens, why an audience of children would find the animated, desiccated corpse of a human being familiar, attractive, or enjoyable so, as opposed to anything else? Why he, couldn't it be just an like old, sin, 97-year-old fucking living dude versus, oh, I can see through his cheek into the back of his glottal passage. That's interesting. I'm not 100% sure. Um, who was the person you said voiced the Crypt Keeper? I said William Sadler. It's but John, I could be wrong. John Casser. Uh, he, I don't know John Casser. He's done a couple things uh, recently. Um, but I said Sadler because you said Resident Evil 4. Never mind. Go on. <laughs> um, so the original Crypt Keeper wasn't that. So the original Crypt Keeper was an old dude, like you said. So um, for the so the Crypt, Tales from the Crypt is part of. EC Comics. Um, the guy, the same people. What the guy who created the Crypt Keeper was also the guy who helped create Mad Comic Books. 
Um, and it was an old character. There's multiple of them. So when they did the TV ap- adaptation, I guess they thought, hey, it, it, the show wasn't aimed at a younger audience. They did an animated version aimed at a younger audience. Um, and the show was aimed at adults. Uh, it was. Let's, let's pause for a sec if you have the article pulled up or etc. What's the airing timeline here? 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s? 93 to 99. The last season, shit. Uh, I have watched all of them since I've... uh, Yeah, EC Comics was the original one. Uh, 1993 to 1999. So all the kids who grew up reading the EC Comics are in their 50s now. So you're probably aiming at them and changing it up. Instead of making it kid-friendly, you're like, hey, this is how it's actually supposed to look. Um, Because they based a lot of them off of uh, their comics and other tales from... uh, the comics that were related to it. There was like Tales of the Strange, I think it was, or something like that. It was linked into. Um, and it, it was pretty... I enjoy it now as an adult. Like I said, it comes back and you watch it. It's a little cheesy. Um, but I like the stories and the cast members they got. I believe John Landis had something to do with it. Not surprising, that man. Whatever he touches, is it's at least silver, if not gold. Richard Donner, David Geller. I'm trying to figure out where it's at because he, he was but linked to it. Outside of that, it means something to you. And that's not a familiarity and comfort and, and nostalgia. There's more, right? There's more of, hey, I like this. What it's showing me. I, I, I like that part. Yeah, for me, it was interesting to see the tales and what they how they spun them. Um, but, but you were younger. I was younger. I, when I was little... You were- you're not at the point where you're looking at a, a story and seven minutes in you're going, oh, I know the story. No, no, no. As an adult, I'm that way. As a kid, I didn't. I'll have to give it to John Caster. His laugh for the Crypt Keeper terrified me until I probably got done about 10 or 11. I was scared shitless of his laugh. Uh-huh. The, the high-pitched scree- screaming or something and him popping out and shaking. For some reason, as a child, terrified the shit out of me. As an adult, it's a good setup to a show. Yeah. Well, as an adult, if you're standing in a line at a supermarket or somewhere and a dude a few paces away from you starts screaming and shaking, what's your reaction? Um, do you do you whip out your phone and start taping him immediately? I'm doing the job I do now, render aid. Well, yes, with the job. But but as a, just a general private citizen, go, oh, that, that fucker is like laughing and shaking. They're probably going to die. Oh, oh, well, not my problem. No, no, no. Or, I'd, I'd, or, or, I'd probably render aid still. Because doing this job, when you see it, you're just like, oh, I'd probably go, God damn it, and then go over and try to help him. Because like, By no. render aid, do you mean clubbing a deer to death with a flashlight? <laughs> yes. <laughs> taser, Listen, taser, taser, kids, taser, taser. Kids, he's on his way out. This is, I mean, as crude as this is, probably better for him. <laughs> I just, I'm just having a cold. Shush. <laughs> Almost there. Almost <laughs> there. there. Broken both my arms or both my legs. I got it. What's the head again? It's oh, uh, a dark sketch. Oh, it is. Oh, um, Fra- I don't Fra- know. Fraggle Rock Robot Chicken. Look it up. It'll ruin your day. So <laughs> we made it. Oh my god! Ah! That's that's why I'm I'm hesitant to rewatch Robot Chicken. Is I have no idea how it's aged. Probably badly. Oh, well, I have it set up on my HBO Max account. That's why I've been watching a lot of the the spoopy stuff. Um. Oh, uh, the the home box office, which is now probably the most accurate that name has ever been because COVID. Yes, indeed, it it is. Um, 
and then because of scary things, it, it just sets up the season. And I, like I said, I enjoy trick or treat and kind of got burnt out of it when I was like 10 or 11. Is it, is it because uh, I'm trying to think cosmically here, is it because the natural cycle in the Northern hemisphere primarily is in the decay phase and the decay has to be articulated in some way. Like, why are my crops wilting? No, it's, oh, it's de devils and evil spirits of your cousin whom you murdered three years ago. He's still mad about that. So he's going to kill your goat. Well, is, is it a little bit of that energy? I think it's just because it became tradition after the thirties during the thirties. Mm. So mm. you got to think, oh, oh, wait a second. I never made that link. So great depression equals Halloween. It did. So trick or treat. Money's short. So here's some fucking skeletons because your family starved to death. Interesting. So, so to dry. So FDR did a lot of crazy things uh, during his presidency. One thing was so uh, Thanksgiving wasn't set up as a holiday, like a national holiday. Let me see here. Uh, until the 30s, I think, under FDR. Um, and he set it up because it. he knew after. So normally it was either the third or fourth Friday, Thursday of every month that people would celebrate it. But retailers went to him and said, hey, we have noticed that sales boom when uh, people come from Thanksgiving. People come shopping afterwards because they just had all this big food and then they have the day off depending on their workers and stuff and when they celebrate it uh, and sales spike. So make it a national holiday so we can all benefit from it. Yeah, that sounds really sinister, but go on. So with Halloween, yeah. So the House agreed amendment. The President Roosevelt signed the resolution and on December 26, 1941, thus establishing the fourth Thursday in November as a federal Thanksgiving Day holiday. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's when Thanksgiving became a national holiday for the U.S. Now, I know other countries have other Thanksgiving days and stuff like that. But now the conscientious generation is trying to cancel everything because the world doesn't run an atrocity. It's not blood. Yeah, it does. I hate to say that to anybody, but everything's everything's linked to atrocities and blood, unfortunately. Neoliberal fascists are destroying the left and sorry, different different segment. Yeah, uh, but for Halloween, it's the same concept. So in the 30s, uh, parents are trying to find things to do to get their kids out. They're trying to boost sales. Um, different places do Halloween, and it's always done on the 31st because it's All Hallows Eve. How can we boost sales for stores? How can we do things like that? So stores decided, hey, if we're losing money in the Depression, let's get kids pushing out. So big pushes started happening in the 30s and 40s, especially right after World War II. You got the baby boomers and stuff coming in, and you have the kids that are being born. I need to walk you back. <coughs> Go ahead. Because you said, let's get the kids pushing out. Well, yeah. Because... You know how my, my brain hears that in yeah. the context of our conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're mm -hmm. thinking. The economy is suffering. We need to breed more poor people and then fool them. Well, that's how technically how everything's really worked, if you think about it. I know! <laughs> I mean, how did farms work? Well, fuck. It's me. Excuse anybody who's going to get offended by this. A few slaves here uh, and my wife. How do I get more? How do I get more hands? I know. I'm just going to bang my way into the, all the labor I can get and potential help. Slaves included. When those human beings arrive on this planet, you tell them, okay, your entire purpose is more corn. No, shut the fuck up. Your whole purpose is more corn. Now get to work. No, well, the first one is like, your whole purpose is to learn how to run this. The other 13 of you can go fuck yourselves and start your own farm and then restart the process all over. Because that's how this works. You say it, it works. <laughs> 
what is it, pro, progeneration? Pro, pro, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's pro something. Progeria. No. Well, uh, do you have anything more to say about Halloween as a feeling that pertains to you? Because I, I basically regard it with general disdain, and especially now because of thirst traps being much more prominent in our uh, social awareness. You ready? Primogenitor. Primogenitor. Good. The one word all came from, so it's his fault. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think I've vested why I enjoy Halloween. Now, everybody has different things. Some people hate it. I don't... Costumes and decorating. I, I The feeling of decorating during this time of the year, because guess what happens? From, like, in the South, from October to next October, uh, there's either going to be... There's going to be Halloween stuff up until Christmas... And then the Christmas lights will stay up for months on end and people forget about them. And then some people will just leave them up. And it just gives you a different feeling. You got that, hey, it's more f- subtle. Um, it's more welcoming. People, even the poor side of town, decorate. They put plants They put plants out. Yeah, they put plants hey, out during Halloween. They put the, decorations out. The poor side of town's got it right. You just put the pink flamingo in your front yard. And then when it's Halloween, you put some spider webs on them. And then a couple months later, leave the spiderwebs there, wrap some Christmas lights around that fucker. Fuck, I don't... It, I, it just just keep modifying the flamingo. I didn't have to put any spiderwebs up. There's so many goddamn spiders around my house. Outside. I had two decent-sized spiders sitting there. One covered about a quarter of my uh, uh, canopy Base. that I have. And the other one covered my door. And it learned after a few times of me going in and out, it needed to attach to the light. And so after it learned not to do that, I was like, you know what? I'll help you homies out. I turned the lights on outside so they could get food, and then they left. So now I just have rusty old cobwebs and giant spider webs sitting in my yard because there's spiders connected to the two trees from the ground up to like 12 feet in the air. And I just leave them there. It's like, you but know what? The, it's way that you time said of the, that, the way you said that was, oh, yeah, it, it, he didn't say covered with web. He said, yeah, it covers half my canopy. So when you go to work in the morning, you say, morning, Winston. And he goes, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I called one Pedro and one Philip. I'm just like, what's up? And they would, they I like would, I pop the door open. It would see me open the door and scurry up. And then once I shut the door, it would scurry back down and just sit there and look. Well, I guess it would look at me, like wait for me to turn the light on. I turn the light on, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, it had three or four moths caught in its uh, web. I'm like, there you go, homies. There's your food. Leave me alone. Go back up when you're done. And when I got home, they were up in the web. It was like a symbiotic relationship. It was like uh, Eddie Brock and Venom, or Cletus Cassidy and Carnage. I needed them, and they needed me. Got rid of my bugs, and I gave them food. Equivalent exchange at its best, I think. Indeed, minus the circle and killing my younger brother. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> no one gets the reference. It's Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, one of my favorite shows. Um, but speaking of shows I've been watching, and uh, I start... Hold on. Oh, okay. Stop. stop. Go stop. fuck yourself. Yep, I'll, I'll stop. I need to ask you two words. How do yes. you feel about these two words? You ready for these two words? Yes. Squid Game. Haven't seen it. Good. Uh, looks good. Uh, haven't seen it yet. No, I, I. But what I need to talk about here is uh, at this at the point of this podcast, this property, this intellectual property, is uh, it's fresh for the audience, and they're all like the, 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 those two words are doing the echo chamber thing, where now the social media world is aware that this is a property, because it landed, it landed well. And, uh, I mean, that, it's a slur word, but I'll use it. Normies are going, oh my god, this is fucking wow! Uh, even though there's more conversation to be had. Point being, 
it's so ubiquitous that I'm seeing it creep into channels that are looking to profit off of the awareness wave, which is not bad in its own self. It makes sense. If you're promoting yourself, go ahead and promote yourself however you've got to do that. But it's it's things like ASMR tests, which is makes me sick just saying that, actually. Um, and other content creators and comparisons and essayists throw going, oh, all of you people out there on the internet seem to be talking about Squid Game. How can I twist that Squid Game awareness into my own um, metrics generation? Uh, Chucks, do you have any awareness of what, how, and why this is? I know it's a Korean show that's been shopped around for nine years. Finally got made. Netflix picked it up here. It's gone boom, and it looks, uh, from what I've seen, I'm assuming it's about a guy who's trying to win some game, but in the game, it's uh, there's different types, and they're trying to kill him at the end, and the only one left is the winner. Um, well, Chucks, let's let's take your current misfortune and uh, leverage it in this premise. If you had a less, if you had a better than a 1 in 500 chance to be financially independent, and all it cost was the lives of all the other participants, you would swing, wouldn't you? Hmm. It's, I mean, it's it's less than one in five hundred, as, as in like it better than. Well, I know. There, I, it's not I, it's not that many people to kill, honestly. I mean, one in ten, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'll kill every one of you fuckers to, to, to get what I want. But one in five hundred, it's enough to say this will not be easy. But it's built to wear us down. So if I just bide my time and be patient, and the outcome is if I'm very clever, uh, very conniving, and very charismatic then I survive this, and then all of my problems get bought by the money that I have. The, the, the deep reptilian brain fuckery sensation, is, it's pretty it's prevalent. It's there. You get it. You want to get that money. Here's because it's not 50 bucks. It's not 5,000 bucks. It's not 500,000 bucks. It's so many bucks that fuck you, give me. It is hard. So here's the issue I'm having with it. Doing what I do now, and if I ever left this job, my brain would always stick with this. Knowing that most of those pe- other 500 people are just like me, it'd be hard to sit there and be like, well, you're probably got like four kids, three kids, or your wife died, and now you got insurmountable debt. You have something there that is causing you to do this. Can I sacrifice you to get just something maybe that I can do if I work harder or if I change something up or if I go out on a ballsy whim? Um, would I do it? I'd, I, I would say most likely yes, but there, it would be very hard on my conscience. Well, here's what makes it easier. You have burdens and problems and issues, and you came here, you chose to be here to seek a solution. So did all of them. So to apply the mentality of a fictional character portrayed by Jamie Foxx in the movie Baby Driver by the name of Bats, as they're about to rob a bank, that guy sucks himself up by saying, that's our money in there. That's our grandmother's pearls. They took it from us. I'm going to get it back. So the entire context is not I'm taking other people's shit. It's I'm getting back what's mine. And that makes it okay. And that makes you perform better. So I agree with you. Being empathetic and conscientious is difficult because why would I affect these other human beings? Because they have their own chances and stories. But they all came here to get paid too. They all made the compact. They made the agreement. So fuck them. Fuck him! I want to get paid. That's that's this is the same. That's what I'm saying. I'd most likely do it. I understand that part. I would feel bad doing it. It would be hard, but probably I would do it. Mm-hmm. So, 
allegedly the show has what nine episodes or something. It's 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 uh, it's well received. It's landed just right. What's funny to me is the 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 face of the main protagonist. I still haven't watched Parasite, by the way. Um, the the face of the main protagonist is familiar to me because he was a character in a alt history World War II spy thriller movie that I own, and <laughs> my impressions of him are colored by the script of that film. But I like him. I mean, it's, it's Koreans have been making good TV for a long time, and now it's apparent to the Western consuming audience, for the most part, by the show. And most of the conversation is based around, oh, I don't know these childhood games because they're hyper-localized to Korea, except they're not. And it's, I see it very cynically, as I do a lot of things, as you might know. Uh, it, it, it takes very simple, broad-stroke principles, like, oh, kid games, and murder, and economic depression, and battle royale. And it puts them together. Now, I haven't seen and watched a show, so I'm sure that the, 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 the TV format storytelling is excellent because the audience that reacts to it and pops off saying, this is amazing, they're not there for anything important. They're there for the pattern recognition, the sugar-based rewards of TV storytelling. So TV storytelling can be very notorious for doing a cheap trick five times in a row, and you're fooled four to the five times. And you're fooled in the middle, and you fucking forget. So the fifth time, it's still fresh. Based on that, I haven't jumped in. Because the volume is going, Oh my god, this fucking show! It's so pronounced and loud that I'm immediately suspicious. Because I think it's doing tricks more effectively than it's doing compelling writing or reflection or creativity. But, I, admittedly, that's a cynical standpoint. How do you, Chucks, process public aplomb and celebration and promotion of this thing in the ecosphere as in you're taking a guy down your 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 knee is on the back of his head he's like yo bro you watch squid game and you go what the fuck and you punch him um how does that work for you yeah <clears throat> i mean to i like i said i haven't watched it so but if people want to hype up a show because it's the next big thing and everybody wants to jump on it, that's their choice. Like you said, if it's their, it's their livelihood and they just want to get in that bandwagon to get more views, that's on them. Or talk about it. Uh, to me, it's not one of those things that I like doing. Uh, I'll watch it when I get to it. Um, but but Chucks, it was so successful, the Grinlit Season 2, to whenever. Um, how you feel? It doesn't have no cares. I'll I'll get to it when I get to it. What if you never get to it? What if you miss out? Well, then I miss out. Good. Healthy attitude. Yeah. Cool. Let's be done with Squid Game, because we don't know what the fuck this is yet. It's, it's got a great opening chapter. <laughs> Many more chapters to go, I think. Let's talk about what you have experienced, because you've gotten better at elaborating your points. Um, and as a storyteller, you're growing. So I'd like to hear what you want to share with me about excuse me, the things you've participated in and have caught your attention. So for the past few weeks, uh, I have been watching a lot of movies. Uh, I've still not done. I've watched one show. Uh, I've watched a decent amount of movies. Let me put it that way. Um, I finally watched Jinro, as we, we talked about. Um, yeah. Okay. You keep listening for now. Yep. Uh, I'm almost done with season two of I got reincarnated. The time I got reincarnated with slime because it, it's slowly coming out in English. Mm -hmm. But the big thing that I've been watching, uh, or like I said, are movies. I've pre-watched uh, U S marshals 
The Fugitive, which is based off a TV show from the 60s. Um, mm. New Mutants, uh, Black, uh, Black Christmas, uh, The New Invisible Man, which I highly recommend. Uh, very good. Elizabeth Moth does a really good job of being a, a distressed ex-abuse uh, victim who's trying to figure out why her ex-husband did what he did. Excuse me. Uh, the Mummy, the original I, Mummy. Uh, no, 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 excuse me, not the original Mummy. The 1990, uh, 1998 Brandon Fraser Mummy. The original best mummy. one. Huh? The best one. The it, best one. It is, it is It is so cheesy, it's good. I will give them that. Um, no, it, it's, it's so cheesy... That it's good. That it's so cheesy. That it's good. It 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 is entirely self aware, and that purity elevates it. Oh, it does. Um, Constantine with uh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I about said I about said Nicholas Reeves. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, <laughs> better, <and> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> better than I first liked it. Upon like ten years removed rewatch, pretty good. It, it's it's not a bad movie. If it wasn't Constantine, I and knowing what the Constantine comic books are about. Um, I think it would just be a good movie on its own. But it did give us Peter Stormare as Lucifer. It did, and he does a hell of a job. Best, the and, best Lucifer. And, I'll fight you. Uh, what is it? Tyndall Sw- uh, Swinson, Swanson, Swinson. Yeah, Elvis Swinson. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. plays uh, Gabriel. She does a pretty good job at being Gabriel. I think she plays the crazy, nutty angel, archangel, uh, pretty damn well. Uh, I mean, not not necessarily political, but like a good androgyny icon of, I can't tell if you're a boy or a girl. Yeah, that's by design. Oh, yeah. okay. And Rachel Weisz, who Rachel. is sequentially from, from uh, Evie Fry from uh, Mummy, Mummy to whatever her name was in Constantine, because yeah. that's how much of a character she is. And the murder victim. It, or the, yeah. Yeah, pulling double duty. I hope she got two paychecks. I hope she did too. Um, I, I enjoyed that film, but it got me into... Uh, Batman: The did, Long Halloween. Which, did you enjoy the uh, the uh, Perfect Circle soundtrack? I really didn't listen to the soundtrack. Honestly, I was watching the the film and the kids dude, coming in. D- dead as dead can be. My doctor tells me. Come on, dude. Um, then never I, mind. I, fine. Jama, Jaman Hansu as nightclub owner. Shia yeah. LaBeouf as taxi driver. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf as uh, Al Pacino from Taxi Driver. That would have been better. You talking to me? Wait, you talk- wait. I'm kidding. Wait, wait. I need to know how serious you are about that. I think that would have been pretty good, but no, um, he is not him. You you know what you said? Yeah, Shia LaBeouf You're- playing Al Pacino from Taxi Driver. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think it would be a neat concept in that film. Le- leaving that alone. Moving on to the next thing. Uh, then I watched a couple of Constantine films, uh, the animated ones done by the guy who played him in the TV show for NBC. Uh, give him credit. He does a pretty damn good do- job as John Constantine, the voice of him, I will say. Um, and that see. Hellblazer? Hellblazer, yep. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of what else I watched, because there was, there's been quite a bit, because I just sat down and just started watching movie after movie. Um, Shin does that, yes. Yeah, that, yeah, it does do that. I, I know, I'm well-versed. We, we can talk about it. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed... Just about every one of them, especially the Batman. So Batman Long Halloween is a uh, graphic novel. I can't remember who did it. I think, no, it was done in two thousand. So Jim, Jim Lee was gone. Uh, but it's the story of Harvey Dent and how he became Two-Face. Okay. And the, the fall of the Falcone family. And, you mean the Maroni family, the Magia. Yes. 
who, who fucking cares? Got Indeed. it. Sicilians. Yes, that's the punchline. Coin beater. <laughs> hope you're listening. I hope he is too. Speaking of that, we got a I got a comment on one of his videos, and it's like how the butt pirates of the Caribbean game that he played. Yeah. Uh, someone was like, "How do I get this for free?" And I'm like, "I'm gonna have to talk to him <laughs> and figure out how he get." But I forgot he pre-purchased it when it was on a uh, early access, so that's yeah. how we got it. Yeah. But that, that that that's a dude who's contentious. He's a spiteful little bitch. But when combined with the two of us, that's a pretty good flavor. It is. I miss the guy. Wonder how he's doing. I'm gonna. He's probably dead. He lives in most Se- likely. He lives in Seattle now. He's probably dead. Somebody's <laughs> stealing his identity and just parading it around. That 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 is not a man who is built for happiness. Which is why I wanted to leverage him against your youthful optimism. Till he got older, but. <laughs> Fuck it, we're here now. Batman, Long Halloween. Yep. Batman, Long Halloween just follows Batman. Actually, mainly follows Harvey Dent's story on him trying, uh, him becoming Two Face and him taking down the Falcone family. Um, essentially, what happens is similar. So, in the scene in the dark, what is it? Batman Begins, where he almost gets killed in the beginning. Um, in the in the but Long Halloween, down a mine shaft as a ten year old. No, excuse me. Well, Harvey Dent almost gets killed, and no, that is the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, where dark, where he pulls the gun out and he doesn't get shot in the long Halloween. Instead, uh, a member of Falcone's family pulls out a gun, and when the gun doesn't work, he splashes him with acid, causing his face to melt, and he becomes Two Face because he yeah. loses his shit because he just wants to take them down so bad and have justice. That that's all he did. And once he got it, he he's like, you know what? I'm the Halloween killer or the holiday killer because it follows a set of murders that only happen on. Um, on holidays, excuse me, I don't know why the word blanked my mind after I just said it. And it follows the killer, and they're trying to figure out who the killer is, and come to find out at the end of the day, I'm going to ruin it for everybody here, it's his wife, because the Falcone family ruined her marriage with their son, and made her get an abortion, so she was pissed off, and was like, I'm going to get my revenge, and destroy everyone and everything. What? No. No, we, we don't get a skirt by that shit. Hang on. So, plot event. Uh, pressure, 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 abortion. So you don't find that out until the very last scene of the second movie. It's a two-part movie. Um, okay. I... Mm, by bringing this up, I'm coming off as a very feminist, I suppose. Uh, I don't care. It's interesting to me that that is the twist, which basically to me says... We don't get to know the other half of the story. This is a four-part story. We get to watch two parts and say, that's it. We're done. Because the twist is, oh, the killer was somebody you trusted, and they went through some bad shit because you weren't paying attention, and now we're here. Now they that hi- they feels intensely cheap. They hint at it the whole time. So Harvey's having marital problems with his wife. Yeah, well, th- they hint at fucking Omni-Man being a problem the entire time, but they deliver it better. <laughs> yeah they do um, so the whole time throughout the movie what happens is every time they go out somewhere she seems depressed and upset um, and Harvey tries picking her up like hey well, you know, let's try having a kid let's get married and she's like no 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 I don't want to do that no and at the last scene of the movie what triggers it for Batman to figure out it's her is that she sees an Oxford uh, school flag like the little foam flag not foam flags but like the cloth flags that you see uh, sitting in the basement and Batman walks in, he goes, so 
why'd you let Harvey, essentially, why'd you let Harvey take the fall? And she's like, you know, here's what happened. I was married to the son that she kills in one scene. Um, but because I didn't come from a Sicilian family and I wasn't part of them or wasn't handpicked by them and we got eloped when he found out I was pregnant, they essentially said, Hey, you, you have to divorce her and I have to get an abortion and you guys need to be left alone. And because of that, she held resentment towards them and she wants them dead. So she that seems really messy. It does. And that's how artificially messy, not sensibly, just, Oh, I I wrote in a complication. Aren't you happy? That's how the the comic book is too. Like at the end, you find out it's his wife. Like, yeah, surprise bitch. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed more of the Constantine, uh, the city of demons, which follows John Constantine and a friend that he had. That ending pissed me off more than long Halloween ending because it's the power of love and friendship that saves him, but because of that, all the love he had for his child that this demon was possessing and his wife, and for John, it kills the demon, but it makes him forget about his child, his wife, and John, and that essentially he was a just, it makes the kid and the wife think he was a terrible father and he abandoned him. Well, that's that's love. Love is selective. Love is dispassionate, actually. It's an elemental force of ruin, but we are all compelled by it. Love made the ending of Gurren Lagann happen. If I'll remind you, sir, I've got the best wife in the world swing. Um, so I get why you're upset, but unfortunately, I think to myself, this is writing tuned for comic books. It is. It is. It is virtually nonsense, but it's compelling enough to say next page, next page, next page. But I'm glad you got to see it. How did it make you feel? Now that you spent more time with John Constantine. I want to see. Well, so I also watched. Uh... Justice League Dark, uh, which is a set of comic books which follows Swamp Things, Zatanna, I believe Doctor Fate sometimes. Uh, Allegedly, Swamp Thing is an amazing character. He is, but I don't know that he is a, essentially he's the god of the green, a protector of the green. So he has powers uh, given to him by Earth to protect the forest and stuff. So he's a super fucking badass. Uh, Alan oh, Moore. No, no, no. Hold on. Yes, you're right, yes. But that's the current incarnation of whatever came before. Mm-hmm. And if I understand correctly, Swamp Thing used to be a shallow excuse of a monster because Baton Rouge is a scary place at night when the when the lanterns don't shine. But somebody, maybe Alan Moore, injected an enormous personality into what came before and came after. This is Lovecraft shit. So human human being bonded with natural forces and burdened with purpose to defend the realm in an elemental way, that's potentially fantastic story writing. But it's 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 like it's not vampires and shit, so I don't care. Like, who cares, right? But if you pay attention, Swamp Thing is a living demigod that apparently shared like took a lover from John Constantine. Because Constantine was, I'm horny, and Swamp Thing says, I'm Swamp Thing, bitch. And then tensions, like petty schoolyard tensions between mortal man with Catholic relics and nature. (laughs) That could be quite interesting, depending where you look. So Alan Moore expanded upon it. So the original Swamp Thing was a man who got turned into a monster trying to become a man again. Uh, Alan Moore Swamp Thing, which is the seminal run is what most people say, like his is the best in the 80s, was... He's a monster who thinks he's a man trying to become a man again, and he's not. 
Um, and later on, they started giving him powers. The, he's the protector of the green. What do you think of the sort? But essentially what both Alan Moore's and the original one were is that this guy dies. The body was taken over by the by the forest to get to seek his revenge. Essentially the crow, in essence. Like, um, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tie that in. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I need to get Brandon Lee you. is Swamp Thing, almost. <laughs> well, technically he could be. Terrible joke there, but... Um, yeah, he's still, he's still composting. It makes sense. But essentially what happens is is that uh, they don't have they have powers. He's able to control vines and stuff, but they don't really explain it. And later on, they give him more and explain why. Uh, I believe Jeff Johns ex- expands on it. Jeff Johns touched a lot of stuff in the... Uh, let me rephrase that statement. Jeff Johns dealt with a lot of comic books, mainly the Green Lantern. If you read anything from the Green Lantern in the early 2000s to like now, Jeff Johns has his hands in it, and he wrote some phenomenal stories. Um but with uh, Swamp Thing, they were like, we need to give him more powers and explain why he's got this. Because just being like, I'm a man who got possessed and I'm back for revenge doesn't really help out a lot. So they kept dwelling on that. John Constantine in the Hellblazer series uh, was Vertigo. Uh, same with uh, Red and what was that? Losers. Those are other Vertigo comics. The 2000s, the mid 2000s, they tried doing a lot of Vertigo comics, but making them PG 13 ish. And not like making them as dark and gloomy as they were. But uh-huh. you got to aim for an audience. I get it. But nowadays you can do a rated R, a lot of rated R Vertigo comics. I'd love them to pull out the uh, Sandman series, which I heard is getting a TV TV adaptation, and it's going to be uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, not the original Sandman from the fifties and sixties. I am excited at the prospect. At the same time, I hold little expectation. Um, because you're taking a one of those uh, combinations of bottles and some sort of a natural discharge phenomenon, and we're trying to translate that into a different medium entirely, which is serial TV. No. So, I mean, I hear good things about gaming properties that have worked out really well. You enjoy his Nordic history. American Gods allegedly is pretty good as a TV show and a book. I haven't spent time with it, but I, I just I think to myself... There is a best version of this. If I can just interject some of my recent extra focuses uh, as a pace breaker, combo breaker. Um, Apparently, one of the reasons that H.P. Lovecraft fiction is prevalent and pervasive is because he didn't have the same sort of legal team as Disney did. So H.P. Lovecraft's shit is public domain. So you can riff on it all you want, and no lawyers will come after you, which is a godsend or Cthulhu send if you want. Compared to, oh, Kingdom Hearts exists by miracle of legal financiering. I wish it had better writers. That kind of thing, right? The Arkham Horror setting is based upon written characters by uh, H.P. Lovecraft and more extrapolation throughout. And Eld- Arkham Horror has many incarnations in the board game setting. Arkham Horror board game, Eldritch Horror, Mansions of Madness, some other fuckery. But apparently, the Arkham Horror card game, which is awkward to say as an isolation piece, is the best manifestation of that in terms of theme and mechanic. Which is contested, but it's an opinion that is more prevalent than others. The notion here is, this is the best version of the thing as it runs, breathes, and affects people, and it's the hardest to get to and no one's going to recognize that. 
because if you don't participate in this version of the thing, you're going to touch some other piece of, hey, what's Mansions of Madness? And that's where you stay. You don't get to that story. I say this because you talked about publishing eras, rights distribution, target audiences. All these are the very logistical factors of, of how fiction can travel and interact with the world. And the outcome is the best version of Swamp Thing still lives deep in the 80s in the publishing format of the original author who probably worked out some shit like Stephen King on cocaine through that and has now divorced himself from it because that thought is done. And the commercial world never recognized what the value of that was and instead said, how else can we make this profitable? Which is their legacy. It's what, this is what they do. This is what's best for it. So I, I want to reopen the examination of what you participated in media-wise in the critical reflection of yeah, we think we know the story, but really, once you start adding complexity of how, why, and when, the story itself looks very, very different than what you saw when you saw it. So, I my so my so Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, when he did it, is considered like I said, considered the best. It's considered the best because of the writing. Anything I I don't know what it is about Alan Moore, but being an anarchist, depressed wizard looking bumfuck from london i guess really helps you writing makes you really good at writing comic books i don't know uh but he Even came the critical of the world is is a boon yes but during the late 80s the span of english writers that came into comic books uh alan moore frank well frank miller i believe is an american frank miller neil gaiman a bunch of english writers came in and they essentially helped set up vertigo comics because they wanted to write darker more adult oriented stuff um but for swamp thing for me it was actually the movies from the uh 90s that's how i got into swamp thing um well you you became aware of the thing existing then you dug deeper oh no it was the 80s uh swamp thing 82 89 i watched them in the early 90s because you know i'm a kid of the 90s um and so i watched them and i enjoyed them i really didn't get it it's just hey big green monster uh, trying to bone said lady while killing people. Awesome sauce. <laughs> what more do you need? Yeah, what more do you need? But it was at the time also when, like, you know, Lou Frigno's Hulk, uh, the Spider-Man, uh, Justice Friends, and all the Super Friends and all that shit was going on. So they were probably jumping on the uh, whole comic book train then, too. Howard the Duck probably, I think, came out in between this. Both movies. I think... For this series, they the, the show that they have for Swamp Thing that came out two years ago uh, was panned, I guess. It wasn't good. Um, but what I'm reading so far, it's like, yeah, it's actually a pretty good show. I, I'm assuming, I haven't seen it yet, I can probably watch it on something. Um, it says I can watch it on the CW. I'm not going to watch it on CW because it was aimed at CW. It's aimed for a teen audience and makes it all feel-goody and teen-oriented. Um, ah, TV politics. Exactly. I don't think I think if you're going to do a Swamp Thing series, it just needs to be a, like a Justice League Dark. You need to enter Swamp Thing, Constantine, Zatanna, and I can't remember the ghost, uh, Boston something. Uh, I agree with you. You do need to enter Swamp Thing. You need to do it in an adult-oriented way and not aim it at a younger audience because Swamp Thing is not meant to be aimed at younger audiences. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Entering Swamp Thing is an adult-oriented experience. Hold on here. Sorry. I'm also looking this up. Enus. Orifice. Contact. <laughs> pressure. Discovery. Indubitably. What the hell is his name? Yep. There you go. Swamp Thing. Batman. Superman. No, no. Oh, it, it, it's Matthew McCoskery. It's always Matthew McCoskery. It is. But needless to say, there's a ghost in there. You, you have ways of doing this. And then you can spin off that if you wanted to. Uh, yep, Phantom Stranger, I believe. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and Hang there. on. As you travel down these pathways, the tone changes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's saying, how can I express the pains of a human being undergone a massive metamorphosis to gain expanded ability and perception of the world and losing themselves and trying to find that meaning? How do I sell it to a 12 year old? Uh, make him have huge pecs. That'll do it. Have him punch out evil like oil tycoons. That, that'll, that'll connect. Well, Versus something deeply introspective that is only accessible to a 47-year-old incel. That will be actually highly connective and reflective of their experience, but that's like 0.007% of your audience. Well, yeah. I don't think... Like I said, those comics... Hellblazer does not need to be aimed at a PG-13 audience. Yes, you're probably going to aim for more money, but there are ways around it. Um, do we talk about the slow taxi driver? Do we do we acknowledge that? The slow taxi driver? Yeah. No. Yeah, because because Chaz Chaz has some issues. He does. And he John has no interest in correcting those. <laughs> yep, I need you exactly as you are. Stupid and able to drive. Do that. Essentially, and that's uh, you. You can build on those things. Like there are ways of getting to this. You can introduce each character through an episode and have them where they all have to intertwine and stop some super, either evil demonic power, something of the sort. Because all the Justice League Dark deals with is the supernatural side. So they are into magic, uh, death, demons, he heaven, hell. They're there does, to stop them. Does anybody enter Zatanna? Uh, I don't think anybody. Well, yeah, John Constantine. Ha ha! There you go. Yeah, there's a whole backstory with that, and that's the whole thing. Like you, if you're going to do these characters, you can't aim it at a, you can't do it like uh, the Arrow or Flash, where it's oh yeah, it's bubblegummy. It's aimed for teenagers and young kids, or the, the Archie comics, which they did with the that TV show. These are meant to be dark characters that are fucked up and have really bad fucked up issues, and then try to make them. Like, oh, yeah, it's okay. Like, no, it's it's not. You need to aim them at the audience that they were aimed at and make it. We're like, oh, look, shit's bad. We know it's bad. Life sucks. We need to get the hell over it, and we need to fuck shit up. Well, let me ask you, because you are the perfect audience for this. You said it, but I want you to say it again with consideration. What does dark mean to you at this point in your life? Dark to me, and that's... The Shit has gone from bad to worse. Things are not as peachy and as bright as everybody wants to make them out to be. And under that veil of of brightness, there's a lot more dark than what most people see. You're looking for stress responses, right? Yeah. So, in an infantile way, Batman is so appealing because dead parents. And that's that's not exactly a small challenge to overcome. That's an enormous challenge to overcome, especially as a child. But it's not really explored in any adult way anywhere that I've seen forever. Because by the time 
Batman is an adult, all those trauma, stress responses, plus money, lots of money, uh, have already shaped this person to be in a certain way, but they never look back at the death of their parents as an active trauma event. It's just some distant vacuum of pain that has shaped them as they are, as Batman, whatever the fuck that actually is. As opposed to dark for a relatable human being that has faced setback after setback after setback, which we can, a lot of us can relate to in many ways. But then they end up doing something productive with it. I mean, it could be destructive. It could be like you, you gained a, a superpower and you use it to wreck some people's shit as opposed to bettering the world. Or, I mean, it, it's not often that you get a story of um, a farmer from Tulsa had his house struck by an eldritch meteorite killing his four children, his wife, his dog, and all of his horses. So then he used his new fire powers to open up a Thai restaurant four towns away and quietly live out his life in magic obscurity because labor was effortless, but there's no future. That's not a story that people really want to hear, even though they might be compelled by it if it's spun a certain way by a TV magic man. So I restate my ask for you. What do you think is a parameter of dark or heavy storytelling that you resonate with? Um, when you have the scale begins at dead parents superpowers and ends at no the cancer is getting worse uh, we don't know we don't know how long so just live the best way you can I guess or give up that's a choice too uh, before I get to my, my statement here um, I would like to say I think I would be interested in that series right there because I want to know how a farmer from Kansas uh, and his great depression managed to uh, learn Thai cuisine I don't know where yeah. the superpowers. <laughs> well, that, that, that that's explained by the visions after the meteorite impact. But dude, fuck off! That story's not for you. Go away. <laughs> um, that was very deliberately phrased, my friend. No, I know. No, um, so all the characters, I guess, with me being in the profession I'm in and what I have had my experience in life seeing these characters and having them do adult oriented themes because they've been through some shit. Like John has, uh, accidentally killed a girl. Uh, he's actually killed multiple people or in some comics he's killed himself and that's why he's going to hell. So he's in this depressed state and he has cancer. Uh, swamp thing went through essentially in his first iteration that a friend killed him because he wanted his wife and he was jealous so now he's back for revenge, and he's here to protect the swamp. But on top of that, like, fuck this dude up. Zatanna had her dad die. Everybody's been through something so traumatic that when you get to these adult-oriented stories and dark, and they, they all understand that life sucks. Unlike Batman, where he's like, yeah, it's, it happened, but because of money, I'm good. Both, None, these people didn't both, have that. Both my parents died, and I still came out to be a seven-foot-four peak physical condition, financially dependent, charismatic, well-dressed, groomed, capable, intelligent man. All because of a butler. Well, that, mm, that, there's implications there. Because what I was going to say is, uh, in the real world, we observe the following. Uh, generally speaking, this is not a theory. This is just an observation. Uh, well-adjusted people don't become actors. They just don't. They don't have a reason to escape their reality. They're just in the middle of it. The people who like to watch on TV, some shit has happened. And if no family members have died or left them or betrayed them, I'm going to go with rape. Most likely a sex crime has occurred in their past. And that 
catapulted their career into actordom across all genders. And that's an uncomfortable thing to think about, but it is a contributing factor to, oh, well, now this person's interesting because some bad shit had to happen first, and then the fruit of that is you get to binge watch a show on HBO Max or whatever. So when you have things happen to fictional characters, oh, yeah, they have a dark past. Can you think of a single... Okay, I can. I can think of one, but let's see if you do. Can you think of a single superhero slash fictional character whose life has actually been pretty mundane or positive even, and they still ended up being a uh, a, a, a superhero of some kind? Billy Batson. Well, no, he was an well, he was an orphan. <laughs> yeah, that's not traumatic at all. He never knew his parents. Fuck it. Who cares? Um, no, I was thinking. I was thinking of Booster Gold. Booster Gold. I love Booster Gold. I like the idea of the character. He is the he is a, such a satirical character on superheroes and why he wants to do it. It's like, yeah, he's in it for the wrong reasons, but yeah, he, he or yeah, what's his name? Uh the Blue Beetle. The Blue Beetles can be the same way. He Well, he's he's brown, so life is already hard. Okay. <laughs> um good point. Uh let's see here. Booster Gold's biggest problem as far as I know from the outside is underachievement. That in the society of supermen, he's a janitor. So that could be a pressure or trauma or stress. So, so but Booster Gold's biggest issue is that he he came back from the future. Well, he came back in time from the future to be a superhero so he could make money. Yeah, yeah. So so financial distress still it's still a factor. Distress is still a factor. Happy people don't become heroes. Which is why you join the army early, so it fucks you up and you do some good in the world, right? Yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to still think. Uh, a superhero that had nothing bad happen to him and still became a superhero? Hmm. Shark? No. It's just a dead civilization. Who cares, right? Get over no. that shit. No, 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 no. Um, Sandman got trapped in that glass by that little girl, so he got fucked over. Um, uh, argue, arguably Wonder Woman, because she's not a human being. Well, we have Wonder Woman's a demigod. So in or she... a... No, a piece of artifice from the gods to, to to shape fate or whatever. Yeah, she. You could say Wonder Woman. I mean, the, she was created for, you know, she she got she came here to help man out, and that's why she's here. And all of her family's okay, depending on the issue. And if you read, unless you unless they base it off the actual twelve pillars of Hercules, and Hercules showed up and just fucking destroyed everything. Um, <laughs> that's that's usually how it ends. Everything was good. Said pillars it, it happily labor. ever after. Pause, pause, pause. And then Hercules came to town. Heracles. <laughs> Well, okay, Chucks, Chucks, sorry to do this to you, but speaking of trauma, mm -hmm. I need you to talk to me about Jinro. Oh, yes, uh, Jinro. So, God, we only briefly talked about it. Um, I don't remember any of the characters' names, because it's been a while, and I've been watching a lot of movies, like I said. Um, asshole. I know. We said we were going to talk about this like two months ago, and we still haven't. Um, I've been waiting for you, man. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop yet? No. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, but needless to say, it follows a young man in a police squad that's the Capitol Police. In the process of a riot breaking out, they go into the subway to stop these terrorist, terrorist group from blowing... Hold on. Important distinction. Mm -hmm. The Capitol Police is separate from the Regular General police. State Police. Yes. So this is some kind of special unit that is outfitted with gear to do particular tasks. So while the good old boys in blue, or black, 
are holding off people upstairs on the city streets, we are introduced to our characters as a sinister, armored, heavily armed division skulking about the sewers looking for persons of interest. Yes. And it comes across a young girl who has a satchel. And the satchel earlier was used to blow up. So this girl's part of this terrorist organization. And he has a terrorist? I'm sure you mean freedom fighters. Rebels, freedom fighters, eh, whatever you want to call them. He, uh, hey, what, if, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? Freedom. Fuck. All right, go on. Uh, um, he has an opportunity to kill her and he doesn't. He hesitates. And then because he hesitates, she blows herself up, but another member saves him. So he gets sent back to police mandate school. I need to point out that although he's wearing heavy metal gear, he's uh, standing maybe eight feet away from her. Mm -hmm. And that is a satchel charge. And those are sewers. So vacuum forces dictate that everyone should be pulped. But he lives. Him and his friend live. The girl is a greasy smear. And Uh, you think the percussion of everything would kill him too from... Oh, fucking absolutely. The the rounds and the, the ammo hopper would go off. But Still, he survives the explosion, and he's none worse for the wear, right? Well, he's got a concussion. Small concussion. That was it. Hmm. So while he's at Mandate, he wants to get information on the girl. Well, he runs into her sister at her, uh, I guess, urn site? Grave site? I don't know what those are. I'm not from Japan, but it's a it's a giant, I would say, mausoleum that has all these uh, graves in it. And somebody's there praying and come to find out it's her sister. And so he starts making connection with the sister, and the sister gives gives the main character, the protagonist, a book from the girl that died, saying this was her favorite book, and it's Little Red Riding Hood. And throughout the story, he keeps trying to meet up with her, and he keeps showing off, and then he keeps having hesitation moments uh, through training. And then finally she says, hey, I need you to meet me here. And he knows it's a setup. So because, we, because you're leaving out the other uh, parties involved here. Oh, because they they oh shit, they're trying to pin everything well, on him. And let, I, let me let me phrase it in the following way: mm-hmm. while this is happening, as our character Fusei is a participating member in this unit, the political pressure, as in all the rioters and such, the country wants to shut that shit down, and the politicians are justifiably caving in, saying, yeah, we gotta we gotta bury this unit that our main character is a part of. So how do we do that in a way that we get what we want and the people never find out that we were involved in some sort of skullduggery? It's very dry political business that when I was a when I was younger I didn't care for, but then as an adult they go, oh fuck, this is the real story. What's happening? why are these men with machine guns and armor and glowing evil red eyes even a thing? Oh state interest protection. I gotcha. I gotcha. So when you say trap, it's the girl that Fusei is very interested in. That's the sister of the girl that blew herself up. She's compelled to say, hey, meet me here for like, you know, cuddles and whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go on. So when he goes up to the trap, he uh, he knows it's a trap. So he starts fucking up all the other people. He fucks Wait, up you- you mean to say that a trained combat specialist is able to overpower a government enforcement squad yes. using guerrilla tactics? Indeed he is. So he oh. he screws up all the people there that are kill him, and he tells her, hey, follow me. So he gets her to follow. She He has her follow, her, follow him, 
and they end up in the sewers and then come to find out they knew she was a rat for the state and he's actually not messed up. He just wanted to set up the state. Uh, so they used him to get back at him. And he's part of the secret squad. And so he and a bunch of other people that he used to work with are there to fuck up all these people that are coming after him. And he does. He gets his armor back on. He kills all these people. And at the end, once he's there, his commanding officer says, Hey, you know, wolves can't be with humans. Because, you know, once you're a monster, you're always a monster. So they leave it up to your imagination, I would assume. I, be, I I'm in agreement here with, I believe, you, uh, Robbie, that he kills her. He shoots her. You hear a gunshot go off. She goes limp. And she's dead while one other guy is with the commanding officer aiming a gun down there in case he can't do it. And you just see him start crying. And then it ends and you're just like well it's it's important to note as well that in that situation the girl while being an instrument upon if you will of the forces at play she's not completely powerless or ignorant but she goes along with it because spoiler uh she was never the sister to begin with Correct. of the girl it herself she was just a, a, a state plant to fish out this participant who to be fair our <laughs> I'm going to use the word, I'm sorry. Uh, our main character, Fusei, who is a special forces state police enforcer man, he acts pretty out of it. He acts pretty slow most of the film. Uh, it, it detached from society and able to really form any connections, but wanting it, at the very least, he only ever comes alive when it's go time for military training and such, which are lavishly animated. Uh, I think Melchucks must have really enjoyed the, the house intrusion clearing exercise. Where the whole squad fucked up. That was that was pretty good. Um, that being said, when he is confronted at the end with, okay, you killed the G-men that were after you. You got a loose end. You should clean this up. And the girl is in his arms. And she understands exactly the position she's in because she's been dragged along all this time to be given some sort of agency and purpose. But now she's in his arms pleading for him to end her with a gun. It's... I would say a artistically uncomfortable moment where he has a choice to make because he also understands as you come to find out that he wasn't hapless this whole time. He knew what the plays were and he just executed them perfectly. He knows he has to shoot her and if he doesn't, the guy in the car with the rifle will. So what difference does it make if he pulled the trigger? But then, what difference does it make if you pull the trigger? I would say that is a fantastically difficult moment to inhabit if you choose to be there. And most people wouldn't want to, and I understand that, but that's sort of the magic of this situation for me. It wasn't so difficult to squeeze down the trigger an automatic machine gun to mow down armed men who wanted you dead for their reasons. But here you have this woman that you wanted to form a connection with, and you have to kill her. You know that you have to kill her, otherwise everything falls apart. And if you don't, she'll still die, and then your, your pack mates, as you said, wolves, not men, They'll remember, and it, that that might affect your future standing as well. I mean, how much more suffocating can you get in that situation? It's a difficult choice. I mean, but but it's a non-choice. It's a non-choice. Yeah, it's a non-choice. It's worse. It's either we do it for you, or you do it yourself and prove it. Prove us. Prove to us that you can do it. And he proves it to him. How Which... did you like the pacing and the animation, Chucks? 
like, like I said, I've always liked the older animation drawings, so the hand-drawn animations for that are really, really good. I like the dingy look of the city and how it looks like it's been through hell. In uh, every character... Did you like the ugly people? I did. Because they're drawn like people and not animu monsters? Correct. And I, I like the way the armor looked. It kind of reminds you of uh, like a mix between... It reminds me of Wolfenstein, like the big armored characters in Wolfenstein. It reminded me of those, the new ones. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, did you did you catch the fan service? I did not. There wasn't any. How weird was that? You're watching an animu, like, where's the titties? There, well, there is one briefly as a character is being torn apart by wolves. So if you're into that, great. Here's just the payoff to the thing that you like. But this is an unrelentingly adult story, and I'll remind the audience that this is the third entry in a filmography and the only one that's been animated. It came out 20 years ago, and the world has largely forgotten about it. But I fucking adore this entry into this canon. Oh. I, I, it's a pretty good movie. I'll give you that. It's a pretty damn good movie. Is it a happy fun watch? It is not. No, <laughs> by no. no means. It makes me want to watch more Pat Labor because now that we're out of our twenties, haha, <laughs> um, we can appreciate political skullduggery a lot more. Before it was oh boring men in suits and offices doing shit, but half of this animated feature is men in suits doing boring shit, and that, that all affects their main characters exclusively actually. And sometimes there's an explosion and bullets fly, but like a Tarantino film, you think the most Tarantino films are just blood and gore forever. They're not. They're actually very widely spaced apart, and they're highly effective when they come through to the surface. Uh, but, Chucks, thank you for coming through. Thank you for watching Jinro, as I asked you repeatedly over a month to do. You're welcome. Do you feel enriched do you feel like you watched a good thing i did i felt like i watched a good thing mm. now speaking and, yeah yeah go on no 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 you finish go ahead uh is there anything like it in your library that you know of that you can compare it to or does this kind of stand apart it stands apart 100 percent stands apart cool. there... how, how would you pitch this to someone how would you say hey i know this is a really hard sell but i want you to see this and here's why I think for American audiences, if you if don't, I don't, if I'm pitch if I'm just pitching it to somebody like, hey, you should watch this. It's gonna be like, hey, look, it's a really good and dark, in depth look into what could happen in society, and the story is really well well written that you don't realize what's going on in society that you're mainly focused on your main character. If you enjoy a good narrative on focusing on everything else minus the action this is your this is up your alley okay okay do you, do you think the story is timeless no no okay it means so, it is it is different and i'm pretty sure i've seen stuff similar to this i just can't name them off my head right now it, it will stick with me on how bleak it was, but there are other things like that in the end. Like, there are horror movies and dramas where stuff like this happens where you're just like, yeah, I can see it going that way, and that makes sense. That's more realistic. Well, yes, but that's proving the point. Guns aren't required for the story, although they help for flavor. 
It can be done with sticks and stones. It can be done with lasers. It can be done with a number of things. But the idea is secrets, misinformation, trust, and relationship dynamics. That is primarily what we're here for. A little bit like Pig. You think it's going to go John Wick. And in this case, it, 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 you know, firearms are discharged. But most of the meat of what this is, is human cognition, relationships, and empathy. Even though for fucking, what, 85% of the movie, our main character doesn't seem to emote or really react in a way that people do. He's very closed off. He's very neutral, sterile. Like, who, why do we care about this guy? Oh, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Well, sir, I, uh, I have been playing a game uh, that you told me not to play, and I've enjoyed it so far. And uh, do you want to take a guess what it is? Uh, is it Pieces of My Heart? No, but it does involve hearts, I guess, so you could say that. Uh, 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 okay. Uh, is it Assassin's Creed Valhalla? Uh, no, I played that a little bit ago, and I haven't played it since it first came out for about... I need to pick it back up, though. Okay, then it's got to be Homeworld. No, it's Back for Blood. Back for Blood. Uh, is it on Game Pass? It is. It's free on Game Pass, so I've been playing it. That makes sense. Uh, so how are you enjoying your contemporary uh, Left 4 Dead light? Uh, it's... I, I don't agree with the review scores that people have been giving it, like fives and fours. It's a solid three if you're doing a one to five scale. Um, on a ten scale, it's probably a five. It, it's are been, you playing it solo or with people? Both. I've played it both. Okay. Well, it I is. understand the game refuses to give you any credit or reward as it stands right now in playing solo. So if you want to progress, earn shit, etc., etc., you must play with folk. If you're playing by yourself, it is largely masturbatory. And, as I understand it, the difficulty curve currently is fucked. It is hard. So, yes. um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll get into it. So I, when I first got it, I got it yesterday. Um, I downloaded it on the day it came out, but because it's on Wi-Fi, it takes forever. Um, I played it on Xbox because it's on Game Pass for free or 10 bucks a month, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and it was glitchy. I hate to say it. Mine was slow and bogged down and startled, uh, stuttered a lot. Like the aiming is slow. Um, looking down the scopes, there's, I, I like the way you, when you look down the scopes, you move slow. That's kind of nice. Uh, that is more realistic. When you're looking down a scope, you're not going to be able to run into it. You might be able to move faster, but you're not gonna be able to really run into it. Um, it is the difficulty spike is very intense. So it goes from recruit to veteran to like expert, uh, veteran playing with people. We couldn't get past the first stage. Um, you need to get cards. These cards help you. Um, and you also need to get enhancements to your weapons, but the only way you get enhancements is by, uh, beating levels and you get into your supply line, which then helps you buy certain cosmetic things and increasements for your gun. It's a neat idea. Is it as good as less for dead? No. Uh, would I recommend playing it? Yeah, I could say, yeah, play it and have fun, but just make sure you have a party of four people you can enjoy it with. Like, have four friends. Don't be like, yeah, it's, I'm going to go out there and just get four random strangers. No, 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 because you, you're unlike Left 4 Dead. Uh, when you're playing Left 4 Dead, you can just hack your way through it one person and you can get to the end pretty quickly. Um, you can run and gun that game. This one, no, you need teamwork because the special zombies 
uh, are very difficult to deal with. Um, you're going to have to be like, hey, ogre over here. Oh, God, there's a horde coming this way. Watch out for the crows. You, you have to set up and tell people and be very precise on where things are. Some people may be able to do it without doing that, but the way I've played it so far, it's hard. So playing on recruit is what I recommend. Build up your supply line, get the things you need, then go to veteran once you get the better weapons or upgrades and stuff. Um, I'm not 100% sure everything is. I got to the Act 2, and there are four parts to Act 1, and the, the, each level is different. I think there's four in the first section, three, two, then four, all through Act 1. So there's quite a, many, quite a bit of stages. And your upgrades don't help out a whole lot. I mean, like, yeah, you get a little bit of life uh, from the cards, or you'll get some special boost, but then you have your director gets cards, and it makes the game more difficult. I got a couple times where it was fog and fuck the fog effects on that man are like silent hill 2 like you can't barely see in front of you which i like but damn is it hard on veteran mode when you're trying to run through and you're hopping through and all of a sudden there's fog and now you're running into a special zombie oh wait no there's one on the wall called a sleeper that pops out and grabs you now you're fucked um the cpu in this is god awful uh, they are a bunch of idiots. They glitch out and they'll stay in one spot and just twitch and move, but they won't shoot. Um, I was playing earlier today. Uh, I was killing things and all of a sudden this one special ran up and it just picked me up and swallowed me. And all my CPUs did was just follow him because I was in his gut. And they didn't shoot him even when running up. They didn't do a darn thing to him. They just watched him pick me up, eat me, and then run off. And then I had to be one of the CPU bots. And I got my old character back once I saved him. But it's really frustrating when you're trying to play this on solo and your CPUs are a bunch of gosh darn morons or goddamn morons. It's uh. it, it made me aggravated doing that because you playing this, you have to play it on, like I said, recruit first, I think, and then go to veteran. Um, you can't just fucking just hop in and think, oh, I'm going to play it on normal mode. It's It's pretty hard. I understand. Now... The difficulty this faces is you're, we're comparing it to a game that's what a, over a decade in its existence. Yeah, I think Left 4 Dead 2 came out 10 years ago. I would say the experience that you're having now, by and large, would be superior to the release version of Left 4 Dead 1. It probably, on some levels, exceeds it, and on some levels, matches it. But over time, fan support, developer support, legacy, etc., Left 4 Dead 2 is a stronger proposal right now. Do you see Back 4 Blood existing long enough to warrant the sort of attention, development, enhancement, and possible revival on the level of, say, No Man's Sky? Yeah, I see it. Because with this game, it has potential. It's it just needs to get the bugs worked out. And I think with a small studio like Turtle Rock, even though those were the guys who helped develop or were part of the team that developed Left 4 Dead, um, I think they are going to need time to see how it works and adjust things the correct way. Um, do I, I think that they have the right point in making the factors with the cards. They did the card system correctly. It isn't like a, a Madden or anything else where like, you've got to purchase the packs. No, you got to earn these fucking cards and you got to pay for those fucking cards. Um, so I like the way they did that system. I think it has a lot of potential. It just needs to be tweaked out to make it better. And if they, over the next year or two, this will probably be a really, really good game. And what I'm hearing by and large is not bad game, just actually kind of unfinished game. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's not, uh, I, 
they have a great concept, but with any great concept over time, with like a board game or something, it isn't right the first time. Yeah, it's good. People will enjoy it. But the more you keep tweaking it, the more you keep working it, the more and more people are going to enjoy it. I like that you say board game. That fires off my happy receptors. That's possibly a future pending topic. What is your favorite takeaway from Back 4 Blood? Um, I, My favorite takeaway, I like that they made it more team involved. That was the one thing I hated about playing Left 4 Dead 2, is that it's not really team oriented. It's more, hey, you're just, you're just four barrels. Yeah, you're you're four barrels and you're plowing through and you got to get there. And no matter what happens, if you have a health pack, you're instantly you're you're good. You're healed almost max health every time. Um, with this one, your health gets depleted. Yeah, you. So when your health gets depleted, your health pack only does sixty points. Um, and, but when you get hit by monsters, your max health keeps dropping and it keeps dropping. And so at some, like when I was playing last night with people, I was playing with a buddy who came back, uh, the one that came back in town and me and him struggled, but I started out just like them 112, but because I kept getting hit and I kept playing like left for dead, by the time we almost got to the last stage, they were still at a hundred percent or like a hundred points. And I'm down to like 51 points. And every time I get hit, I'm down to like 25. So now I'm having to fucking readjust the way I'm playing this game. And I like that idea. And I think it's a neat concept. Um, but like we were talking, it just needs to be tweaked out a little bit more. And I think in a year or two, this will probably be a really good game. And it may stay to the level of Left 4 Dead, where Left 4 Dead is going to get... It, it's still a great... Left 4 Dead 2 is still considered a really great game. Um, I think it could be that in, over time. And, and Left 4 Dead 2 came out 12 years ago, by the way. Uh, I'm going to do something very unprofessional. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to tell me about the flip side, your least favorite takeaway from Back from Blood, but I'm not going to be here physically for it because I'm going to run for a beverage refresh as you do this, and I should be back in under a minute. But gotcha. uh, do, do, do you consent to this particular thing that I'll hear about later when I re-listen to this? Yes. Um, Perfect. So, so checks. what shit fucking sucked for you? Uh, single player mode, the lack of bots, and it not being 100% finished. Um, the bots not being set up correctly, I think, when they did the source code for this, was very, very poor. Um, like I said, I've had issues with the bots from the get-go, but I think what they're mainly trying to aim at is, like, hey, this is supposed to be a team-oriented, you need to play with people. Get the point on that. Uh, with it not being finished, uh, I'm used to that on with every current game that's come out recently, no game is 100% finished, even with betas, with alphas. Uh, modern games are not meant to be 100% finished because you want to hear from fan feedback so you can tweak your game. And that is a huge thing. Like I said, in the current industry of video games, you can't find any 100% finished game. You're probably at most going to get 75 to 80%, and you're going to get that last 20% over the next few months. Um, shit. There, the the card system, like I said, was good. It's also a bad idea. I think instead of constantly, I think what they need to have done is that cards are pay to win. Cards are always pay to win. Here's the <laughs> shitty card. You want the good card? Give me four dollars. Oh no, you don't do that in this one. Uh, I think what they could have done is like, hey, you get five cards. These are the five cards you carry throughout this section. Uh, it can be tweaked a little bit, but it's not bad. They they probably have the best card system I've seen in a while. So I give them props and dislikes at the same time. Okay. So, But over, over the long haul, I think the game 
still needs to be tweaked. I'm I'm glad it's crossplay because I was playing with one guy on PC and one guy on PS4 last night. Loved that concept. Um, it wasn't any lag. There was no lag playing online, but there is lag playing on by myself. So I don't understand what, how that's humanly possible. It was online and it's doing some fuckery. Okay. Still, the point is, watch this space. Game has been released. Game is okay right now. It's got issues. Yeah. It could be fantastic two years from now. Could but be. the problem is, we've got to push something out. Here you go. And, I mean, I don't want to uncharitably attribute my affiliate nutchucks here. But he is susceptible to, hey, what's new and what's out? I'll just do whatever. As opposed to being more thoroughly cynical, critical like I am. Not saying it's the best way, but by and large, hey, it's new, it's out, I'll play it. As opposed to, hey, is game good? No, I'll come back later. Well, like I said, it's on Game Pass, so that's the one benefit to why I would say if you're on Xbox, go ahead and pick it up. Pick it up now. If, if this thing just needs 60 bucks or 80 bucks, and that's that's the only option you have. Yeah, that, if you want to play it that bad, pay the 60 bucks. But for me, Game Pass, go right ahead. Get it on there. Play with your friends. Uh, enjoy your time with them. Uh, learn the stages. The difficulty spike on it is very frustrating, too. Um, to go from, hey, I can breeze through this to, holy fuck, I can't get past the first stage is way too high of a, a jump up and increase in difficulty. Um, All right, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy in this concept. Uh, what are friends? Yeah, that yeah, correct. Uh, people you know. Um, oh, okay. Well, geez, I know thousands of those. Exactly. If you have four people you you know that are willing that have the game, pick it up, play it with them. Don't play it on your own until they fix that solo play. Um, enjoy the multiple plays you can do. There's like I said, it's four acts, and each act has multiple stages in it. And it, it there's a story there. Don't really care about the story. Neat idea, neat concept. That there's a story along with it, but you know, they, I they, did hear the stages were actually nailed down pretty good. Yeah, the stages well, are right, pretty good. If if it's in exclusion, outside of Left for Dead, mm -hmm. they're really good. But a part of you thinks, man, I've already done this because you've played a game that's like this before, and that's just the uh, inexorable tax of being in a similar genre slash same developers. Yeah, but I thought I'd let you know about that. So, thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Uh, tit for tat. Would you like to hear about something that I got into? Yes, I would. Uh, this game has been out for uh, about five years, I think at this point, pretty close to. And it was good the entire time. I heard it was good and I decided to get into it. But before I talk about that game, let's talk about shittier games. So <laughs> do you remember I told you about uh, Warhammer 40,000 Inquisitor Martyr? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's actually a game I picked up on sale on PC because I would like to play it on PC to see if it's a better time. Because I get the feeling that the port itself sacrificed a little bit of the game feel part where you're shooting dudes and making your character stronger. And that game is much bigger in terms of content. It's just it was never necessary to push through all the different planets and scenarios and get stronger. I just wanted to do the story. and did the story two and a half times because achievements. And I, I felt fairly done with that particular piece of story because the writing isn't fantastic. It's just a matter of what you do with your characters. And as I told you before you figure out how your characters work early on, and though the game gives you more abilities and things to change with, I mean, you've already got a good groove going, so why grow or change or do whatever? I then went to the fantasy version of that game, Warhammer Chaos Bane, by a completely different developer, 
not even at all related to the first game's issuers, which I was surprised by. I thought, this feels pretty good. I like this. Chucks, I fucking played through the campaign six times. Damn. And by the second time, you can relate on Resident Evil 8 on this thing, by the second time, <laughs> I was fairly done with what this was. And there were four more times to go because because there's a beat game with all heroes trophy. But the game had two DLC characters after its release. And I played in reverse release order. I played with the DLC characters first and then the core cast. And I had interesting mixes of experiences, honestly. I appreciate a lot of things about the aesthetics and the flow and the ability progress, despite it being flawed it is. But when you know you're doing the exact same missions over and over, it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel great. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, that being said, the fantasy version of Warhammer Diablo action is fairly good to the point where I would even not be opposed to playing it with you at some point, because once or twice through is perfectly fine. It's just when you compel yourself to repeat the process an additional four times that's where it gets tedious because you kind of know the way it's gonna go. And you know what the medium to long-term rewards are. And the only excitement is, let's look how the gear looks, and let's see what abilities you earn as you go ahead, if you don't just read ahead of what you're going to do. So for reference, just, just for specificity, I'll say that I went through the Witch Hunter first, which the Witch Hunter has either uh, rapid-fire, fully-automatic flintlock pistols, which should piss you off if you're paying attention. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a fully-automatic flintlock pistols. Oh yeah, just just across the yeah yeah flintlock goes burr. That's that's the meme here. But the character can swap into sword and gun combat Dante style almost, which was unfairly cool to begin with because I was like the last character released for the game, and he was by far the best developed, I would argue. But that was the first guy who went through the campaign. Then there was a dwarf engineer that worked with a sort of a, a steam gun that fired close to her as well as some gadgets and turrets and a little bit of hammer or axe swinging. Okay character, trinkets and pets. This is a staple in Torchlight, Diablo, Path of Exile clones, by all means. Um, then I played with the Elf Archer, which somehow weirdly had the highest DPS by the end of the game, because that character was all about rolling away and then firing more arrows than the Diablo 2 Amazon could ever fire. So that was actually reasonably fun. Um... Then it was the Empire Soldier, the, quote, lame character who has a shield and a sword or a, a double-handed weapon. That was probably the least fun to play, honestly. But at the same time, it's just a very sturdy, good average class that had a lot of, oh, this, this, this skill buffs your teammates. But I'm playing solo, so again, wasted. The Dwarf Slayer was interesting as a short, stout, double-axe branding slaughter master. Uh, with very colorful pants, I will say. All, all the gear consistently gave him cooler, nuttier pants and loincloths. And the last character I played, which I saved for last because thought it would be lame and I was wrong, was the Elf Wizard, which the entire time was Gandalfing, meaning it was carrying a large blade in one hand and a magic death stick in the other and just continuously just wrecked everything around them. So... Outside the duration of the span of time, Warhammer Chaos Bane was fun to play. It's just not fun to try and wrap up and finish up. And there's a vastly expansive end game, but just like Back for Blood, there is a balance mismatch where if you hit higher difficulties, you need better gear. How do you get the better gear? 
Well, you crank the difficulty down to the lowest it will go, and then you run these specific maps that run off of gold that you pick up by playing the game that will just drop better quality gear than anything else in the game will do. So you kind of have to hack the difficulty curve to get the numbers up to go run the late game stuff, which to me, outside of seeing what sets there are with mechanics synergized together, is pretty redundant. Like, Why do I have to do the dumb shit to get the good stuff to go do the other difficult dumb shit? That, that's not fun. Somehow Diablo 3 nailed it down where running rifts is repetitive, agreeably, but it's fun to do because I already have my abilities there and I'm playing around with builds and wiping up mobs and picking up shiny things. That's fun. Where's the fun here? And again, I played on controller versus mouse and keyboard, which is different. So we're going to close the chapter on Warhammer Chaos Bane. Because I tricked you. I was going to talk about one game. I'm talking about four games. Go fuck yourself. Um... The second most recent game that I played was a very obscure title that didn't even have like a cross-media bar extra features on the PlayStation PS4 whatware. It was Vikings Wolves of Midgard. And this is a game I knew just distantly through reputation, but again, it was super cheap on sale once I picked it up. Uh, Chucks, I'm confused about this game, honestly, because you love Norse mythology, right? I do. Mm-hmm. And this game leans really hard into Norse mythology. All the things that you fight outside of people with weaponry are Norse myth creatures. They're equivalents for goblins and kobolds and monsters and whatever. And even giants. The idea of being a regular-sized human being, although fantastically muscular, um, being able to bash the kneecaps off of enormous walking things is pretty cool. The things that I took away the most from this game is that the early game, like Path of Exile, feels pretty desperate because you're a man with a uh, a wooden-built, metal-rimmed shield and maybe a sword, or a wooden stick if you want to be that guy, or two axes if you're really baller, with some loincloths and maybe, maybe a gambeson if you're lucky. You're just pushing through impossible odds. By the end, of course, you're wearing fire giant-inspired magic crystal bullshit heavy armor and wearing at least one copy of Mjolnir, maybe two, hard to say. Oh, the character I played was the boring one with uh, like the one-hand weapon and the shield, but by the end of the game, uh, as you continue, you're able to put skill points into other trees which have their exclusive talents. The flow of play was interesting. Running the piano gambit of recyclable abilities on different cooldowns was satisfying. Playing the game was fun. The, the, the biggest takeaway for me was that you have a uh, village you're protecting. You're the chieftain of the village, and it gets populated by more characters as you play the game, and you're able to sink funds into your smithies, your armorers, your altar, your magician slash herb dealer and vision master. So you get to build your town up, which I'm a, I'm a huge sucker for building up the town mechanics. I really like them a lot. The story was there. There was a lot of interplay and reaction. At one point, you got turned into a troll against your consent. You didn't wish for that, but you could still do it. And your longhouse, your, your feast hall, was consistently festooned with trophies of your exploits out there in the world. So if you killed a big badass, his head, his sword, or his testicles sometimes could be seen uh, hoisted in the Great Hall as, as a claim of your, of your exploits. I would say as an adventure experience, at least one time through, Vikings Wolves of Midgard is actually a decent game. Not excellent. It's, it's, it's okay. Because the way it deals with its own economy is kind of weird as far as sinking points of progression. But where it absolutely fucked itself is that I thought, I had a pretty decent time playing this. And there's a trophy for doing a New Game Plus run. I'll do that. Do you, do you want to know what happens when you do New Game Plus, Mr. Chucks? I do. 
Go on. Okay, you keep your level and your inventory. And then all of your currency goes away, the world resets itself, and all the enemies are just a few levels higher than you are. So you're aiming for level 30 by the time the game is over, thereabouts. And you can earn more experience, but of course the number keeps going up for thresholds for leveling up. But the game says, yeah, just play me again. It's New Game Plus because you're a higher level, but you don't keep any of the shit that you've earned outside of what you're wearing. So just do me all over again, baby. And because the enemies are a higher level than you are, irrespective of difficulty, everything just gets slower. You're not any stronger. It's just more harder, slower, do it again. So I deleted that shit immediately. <laughs> I was thoroughly disappointed by... Yeah, 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 because like the, the looter action games that I've enjoyed since I was in my teens, uh, they typically build momentum. Like, yeah, you're stronger and you can go harder if you want to, but basically, how about you just flush out your abilities first before you crank, crank it up? But by the end of the game, on normal, I had to drop it down to uh, easy because the boss fights are structured in a way that if you fail, you just go back and retry, like you usually do. But the numbers the bosses were throwing out were getting, like, horrific. They Half your health bar, because fuck you. Meaning the game said, grind me some more, and I thought, well, up until the last quarter of the game, you didn't need to be ground. You just played the game, and you adventured a little bit, and you were strong enough to hang there. But now, instead of being able to retreat to heal yourself or do something else, almost Dark Souls style, uh, get good or, or, or die and try again. That wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy that. So, up until the closing hours of the game, I was having fun. And the game betrayed me by being designed in a way I didn't appreciate. But luckily, we're coming back to the thing that I'm praising which is a game from about five years ago, called Hollow Knight. Have you heard of Hollow Knight, Mr. Jux? I have, and I've heard of good things of Hollow Knight. Ah, it, I have very little bad to say about it, outside of being inscrutable, and that's part of the design feature philosophy. So Hollow Knight is what is affectionately referred to as a Metroidvania. It is a 2D platformer where you will explore a environment with sets of biomes that are beyond your understanding when you first get there. And it will rock your ass when you don't know how these places and enemies work. And then when you do know how they work, you'll be able to navigate them with, with greater alacrity and ability. And you might even grow stronger. Hard to say. There's a hub. There's a town. That's your safe space. You can go there and not be assailed by enemies, at least so far. And there are various inhabitants of the town that have information to share with you. But, of course, they won't tell you the story, they'll just give you a snippet of what they understand, and then go ho 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 when they're done. The action itself is very slick. You have a fairly dexterous weapon to work with called your nail. It is all bug-themed, so the adventure is mostly subterranean, and the idea of a fantasy kingdom of bugs uh, crushed down by ages of time is really very interesting. The music is fantastic. I love every track I've heard so far, and it's very evocative of whether it's calm, tense, wondrous, or pondersome. I like that a lot. The idea of gathering currency and spending it on vendors is also reasonably satisfying because a part of you always thinks, oh no, I need hundreds of tokens of money to buy this thing. How will I ever get them? And then if you venture out somewhere new and you come back, you go, oh, my pockets are actually pretty full. I can buy this next gasp of air to make my experience less difficult. And then that tends to pay off. Or you hit a boss and you think to yourself, oh, I fuck, what do I do? They're too fast. 
They're too fast and they hit me too hard. I There's nothing I can do. And then you press through and then you beat the boss by some miracle. Because there's no life bars, Chuck. There's no health bars on this thing. This is not Dark Souls. You don't get to know how well you're doing. It's a mystery until you learn what the fuck. And then you beat the boss and you unlock double jump. And you go, oh my god, I can think of five different rooms where the double jump would be super useful. And then your entire interaction rhythm with the game changes. So that withholding reward than offering reward is exceptional. I think the pacing is excellent. Except the game doesn't make it very clear where you can really go. Sometimes you flat out can't get somewhere because your tools of dealing with the world don't allow you to scale the environment or do whatever. Other times, you don't know what to do because there's four different ways you can go until you hit a dead end. Oh, oh, wow, there's this wall of blackness. Well, I've seen other barriers before. I'm sure I'll find a tool that will deal with this wall later. Stuff like that. You have to actually pay out in-game currency in order to uh, unlock the ability to map out the world. So you've got to be in the world, be present, deal with threats, and collect currency to then have the privilege of having a reference piece of paper that tells you where you are in the world and must sacrifice an equipment ability slot to know where you are in the world as well. So it's a cruel but kind environment, if that makes sense. And it's a great delight to play and be in it, especially because the game withholds the ability to strengthen your weapon for probably 25% of the game. You you have your pokey stick, and that's that's all that it does is it pokes. So you learn, oh, this guy takes three pokes, this guy takes five pokes, this guy takes ten pokes, i got to be careful. And then eventually you meet someone who goes, you know, you throw some cash my way, I can make that stronger. And your pokey stick gets almost twice as strong with one upgrade, and your brain goes, oh, fuck, I need, I need to make this as strong as I can to ease up the world. But you've earned that, it's not just given to you. I really dig that. Now, here's the most esoteric part of the game experience I want to talk about, because that is what hit me the hardest and most profound, and nobody else seems to give a shit. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a mechanic in the game, because you have an unused button un- un- until you come across a point where the game says, here's some more story. Th- that button does nothing. Nothing happens. And the game says, hey, you've got your nail, right? That, that-, that hurts things in the world. Have a dream nail. Chucks, are you familiar with the game Alundra from PS1? I'm not. I'm not surprised. So Alundra is a game where you play as a, a young boy, man, who goes into a village, and he has an ability to enter people's dreams, and then those dreams are levels, and then those levels are challenges, and when you beat the levels, you resolve people's nightmares, and people have better lives. So the village gets a little more developed, built up, and more of the game happens. Is that a cool concept? Yeah, I could say it is, yeah. Okay, so in Hollow Knight, you don't do that, but the Dream Nail is an evoker tool, and I don't think it actually hurts anybody in the world. I don't think it does damage, period. So it's this bizarre, more mechanics will happen eventually to bring me more shit piece of the game. But I adore it, because you can go talk to a townie or another NPC and then try to talk to them, and they'll tell you what it is that they want to tell you. I stress that. It's, it's very important. They, they tell you what they feel like telling you. And then you can use the Dream Nail button and smack them with the fucker. They don't take any damage. But it's very possible you will learn something about them that is reflective of their dreams, their ambitions, their intent, their entire way of being. It's an empathy sword. Do you remember uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe? Yes. 
Okay. The movie or the book, doesn't matter. There's a point of view gun. It's it's that. It's a point of view sword. And sometimes it's very cheeky because you will use it on some people in this world and they'll say, <laughs> I know what you're doing. Fuck off. No, you, you, you don't get to see this. So they are powerful enough to overcome this. But other people, I'll give an example. Again, this doesn't matter for gameplay purposes, but I really care. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. At first, when you're in the town, all the houses are closed. There's one guy who talks to you. There's a bench. It's very lonely. But if you play the game, and you meet people, more of the buildings open up, so the sleepy town has at least some activity there. And there's a couple. There's a, as far as you can tell, as far as bugs go, there's a married couple of a cartographer and a spouse of the cartographer. A uh, lady bug, as far as you can tell. Not a lady bug, but like she's a girl bug. There's no titties. Don't worry about that part. She runs the shop. So the husband has got this aloof, pudgy bug spectacles. Oh, yes, I, I make maps. So every time you enter a new region in the world, you have no map. But if you come across a room where there's pages spilled around, you can hear him humming. You think, I gotta find this fat fucker so I can get a map of this place. God damn it! And then his wife runs the shop, and she sells you map accessories like tokens, markers, and various things. And when you talk to them, he goes, yes, 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 this, is, this environment is interesting. You talk to her, she goes, okay, well, listen, like, if you want to buy something, that's cool. But otherwise, you know, it's a ho-hum. Who cares? You've got that so far? I got it. Okay. So then the game implies to me that I can use the dream nail on things, including corpses. I can hit dead things and enemies with the empathy nail, and it will, they will give me a piece of their understanding. Like they, they will confess things to the player character that they wouldn't ever say out loud. I love that shit. So I smack the cartographer with the dream nail. And the cartographer says, yes, to map out the world, to, to, to preserve all this knowledge. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. This is my ambition. If only my wife had the wanderlust that I possess. I come back to town. I approach the wife. I smack her with the dream nail. What do you think she says, Jax? I wish my husband was around more. Good guess. <laughs> what she actually says is, Oh, it's been a while since I laid down my sword and stopped exploring the world. You know, I miss it a little, I suppose. And what that betrays is the husband has no idea of her prior life. She never talked to him about it ever once. And he's like, honey, come see this cool stuff. And she has to think, I have murdered more cool stuff than you've ever seen. And I don't want any part of it, except for sometimes. And maybe this is my life phase right now, because I'm reasonably recently married. That is incredibly intense in terms of the shit you don't say to the people in your life that they could greatly benefit from understanding about you. But instead, you just coexist, never saying it until it gets so bad you blow up at each other. Not specifically in my marriage, just the people in general, every dynamic. Uh, Chucks, you and your daughters, you and the people that you know, you and people that you really could benefit from saying things out loud that you probably never will. Because the conditions aren't right. But if you had an empathy gun, you can go blah and you get a sense of what they're about. You go, oh shit, here, shoot me with this thing. And they shoot you with this thing. And then the uh, connection forms. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I love it. We need more of this in our life. And I need to ask you, Chucks, how crazy am I sounding like right now? Not that crazy. That actually sounds like a pretty reasonable thing. Um, 
I mean, to understand somebody more that you want to, you have a connection with is never a bad thing. And even people you don't know, it would be nice to understand what people are thinking sometimes so you can get to know them better, I guess, is how I would word that. And you're right. And l- let me ask you again, what does the dream nail do in the game? It lets you see their dreams. And their no, it doesn't. It is fucking nothing. It does no damage. Why the fuck do you have this button that does nothing? It does nothing. It's useless. Uh, it does something. It gets you. It let, makes you understand the people in the game more and what they're going through. So it makes. Does that make me? Does it make me jump higher or fly farther or deal damage? No, it's a fucking useless button. What's your problem? I think that's a neat concept. I would love to see those in games more. I I agree with you. It's a it's a fantastic concept. It's just I haven't reached the end of that journey yet. Because there's there's certain points thresholds of the next layer of what this is gets revealed, and I'm confident it's going to be more mechanically useful in the future. And if it's not, I won't be disappointed. It's just that when you're that deep, let's say 10, 15 hours into playing game, a lot of what you only care about is how the game mechanics interact and afford you options and allow you to affect the world around you in a tangible way. Because it's all about points and damage and life and all that. But the dream nail right now stands completely separate from that, where it's a thing you can do. I can expose myself to harm. If there's a creepy bug coming towards me, I can hold down the button. I know it's about two seconds before it goes off. And then I'll I'll give you an example. There's an enemy that's a floating bulbous spawner bug, and it will spawn young. And those young will fly to attack you. The bug itself tries to stay away. The, 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 The new spawns will come after you directly. So you form this, oh, I have to chase you, but then hide from your kids and kill them. Don't think about that too hard. If you dream nail the mama bug, it will say dark safe with ellipses. That's all it gets out, because it's not a being like you. You're insects, but your player character is functioning at a higher analytical level. The bug says dark safe. If you dream nail the kids... The kids say, light scared. Now, this is not profound storytelling. This is not necessarily a deep piece of cognition, but let's examine this, because fucking we're here. Let's do it. The kids have been alive for seconds, and they'll probably die at the end of your nail as you kill them, because if you're on a way, sure, but if you leave, who knows what happens to them. Maybe the mama eats them. We don't know. But the kids only have knowledge of the trauma that's happening right now. Light, scared, instinctively they know this, but they still go towards you because they're so panicked that all they have is the fight-or-flight reflex, and then throwing their lives at you to try to end you because they'll be less scared is all that they have available to them. And the parent, having lived long enough to be sexually mature to produce spawn, presumably having been one of these younglings once upon a time, outside of the point of this game, it is transformed its, let's say, paradigm of fear, of light, bad, it has learned dark good as a response to that exact thing. But that doesn't render it immune or let it escape the part where it still shits out kids as a defense mechanism, because it just wants to survive, and if it can shit out kids to kill the attacker, to kill the light, that's good enough. Do you see the part where this doesn't belong in the game, but I'm so happy that it's there? Uh, Slightly, yes. Okay, I, I know I know I'm talking like ASD bullshit. I understand that, but that increases the value tremendously because outside of like looking up a document where the writer 
dialogue pieces are all just laid out and a cheat. Uh, interacting with the world makes me wish that I was good enough at the game where I could time those strikes on bosses so I can get a piece of their story with that particular tool that has nothing to do with me defeating the boss and in fact exposes me to great punishment and damage because the boss will hit me as I'm trying to line up a vanity shot to get a text box that paralyzes me that doesn't stop the fight, so I'm going to take more damage. Th that requires a development, empowerment, or mastery of the game where I'm not playing the game anymore, I'm reading. Th that's, that's different. That's special. I like it. That's great. Hollow Knight. Good game. Good game. You can play the game as intended, or you can do what I do and say, but, but Rider Man, talk to me. What are you evoking here? You could. You could do that. I think that's what a lot of people do with Resident Evil. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, yes. Like, what was but, the writer uh, trying to say here? I think he's trying to say uh, they couldn't write. No, they could. They could. But again, language to language, format to format. There's, there's so much left misunderstood that it creates a parody of itself where we, we joke about the voice acting more so that we come back to the person doing the talking. I want to parabolize this to Gundam as well, where the creator of the original concept, who has been responsible for several series directly as a writer, and always as a producer, basically, we, we, we said this before, he portrayed social tension, overpopulation, starvation, problems, etc. He did all of that in universe building. Hard sci-fi novel. Arthur C. Clarke bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. And then he pitches the concept of this battle machine that's supposed to be like a white harbinger of death the white doll, if you will, that is defeating the opposition because it's just built better. And the producer said, yeah, you got some really cool shit here. Um, can you splash some primary colors in that? Because kids really like bright colors so we can make this syndicated TV show that we'll cancel anyway. And that's why the Gundam has yellow, blue, and red on it. Which is why the Unicorn Gundam is all white because that was actually coming back to the original point, which is, this is not a happy robot. This is a death robot. You shouldn't be happy about this. But people are when they see it. Uh-huh. Like, oh, mm. fuck yeah, robot. Giant-ass robot fucking shit up. Are you familiar with the band Queen? Yes. Are you familiar with the uh, News of the World album cover? Yeah, that's the one where they have the giant robot. Yeah, the giant robot with a cast metal face that looks very sorrowful about having accidentally killed the band. Yes. That, that fucking bullshit has haunted me since I was like six. So, probably explains my mecha fetish, such as it is. Because the idea that this band is marketing themselves as being dead, because I don't know what the context of the, the people in the band is at this point, but then a giant metal man killed them, and their blood is dripping from its hand, and it feels sorry for what it did, but it did it anyway. That's a complex question to begin the world with, right? So, like, we can parabolize this to Cain and Abel if we want to, well, we're not going to. It's just the complexity of the feeling that you're left with, and if you have no language to access that feeling, you're just stuck with the pain you're going to forward onto others until you can cure it or kill it, which are different things. Or if you do have the language to address it, then maybe you can crowdsource the pain and find a way to make it okay among a society of individuals who also share your interests and aches. Which is what we... um. We, we attempt to do, but then targeted advertising enters the mix, and it's a fucking shit show. So, complicated. What I'm saying is complicated. Hollow Knight is a very good game. Uh, not everyone's going to like it, because 
it seems like the trophy indicators is half the people after the, they get to the second boss and beat her, they just stop. The, the, nobody plays the game anymore. But I'm playing it, and I'm having a fantastic time, and I'm only occasionally having to use a guide saying, all right, so what combination of items do I need to use to activate the secret modifier that makes this okay? Not unlike Resident Evil, because in Resident Evil, oh, if you have A, B, C, D, and Z, clearly that's the way you do it. But you don't know that until you've drank enough Kool-Aid to drown a small lion in a box in a basement. I don't know why that was the parable, but that's what I did. I like it, though. It's nice. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Chucks, <laughs> have you played anything else? Um, no, not really. Um, I have. It's football season, so I've been playing football a lot because you know American, and by football I mean American football, where people just smash into each other with pads on. So I've been. Well, I mean, it's it's a sport worthy of commemoration. I just I've always bounced off of it, but I acknowledge that there's a lot going on here. It is, and it's it's just that time of the year, and I've been doing a lot of stuff with kids. Uh, my local state fair is going on, so I have uh, been went to that with the kids. So I've just been mainly being dead, besides watching movies. Is there another movie you'd like to aim? Because uh, I'm going to forecast this. Um, I got to do a fantastic thing, which I hated but I loved, which is to cross the country via aeroplane a couple of times. I watch a man die, actually. Real story. I heard about that. And then we got to visit my folks. But somehow one of the takeaways of that experience is that I got to introduce my wife to them as as my wife, not just the person that I'm fucking. That's a different parameter. And she got to get a compressed golden age of movie viewing within a single week. And I'd like to name those films and get your impressions and some of the takeaways from that. That's like five movies in a row. Which is, again, hijacking the bit for the sake of my self-indulgence. So I want to give you the floor before I sweep the leg, Johnny. And then see if there's something else that you saw or engaged that uh, affected you. More than just, yeah, it was pretty good. But instead you had some feelings to go with that. No, because I've been watching spoopy movies. Spoopy movies, yes. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll even say... I would like to rewatch this because it's been about 12 years, but I did have a very high regard for Insidious. Which one's Insidious? Insidious is a spoopy movie made by, I think it was James Wan, Jim Wan, Dan Wan. Doesn't matter. Wan Tom? Uh, the reason, I didn't know this at the time, but I found out over time. The reason I really enjoyed Insidious is the same reason I really enjoyed Saw, the movie, the first one. Because it wasn't about ah, brutal murder. It's a thriller and it's intelligent and it's well done. And Insidious is the same guy who says, yeah, it's a possession movie, but there's more. And it's the reason I'm actually much more interested now to watch Malignant, because Malignant is apparently a miracle film that doesn't get done in Hollywood anymore forever. And it's from the same guy and he sold it to the audience in the studio as if it were one thing. But it's not that thing. So Saw is maybe the most coherent film that is what it is. If you watch it, look back at it. Yeah, it wasn't actually lying to you. It was that the whole time. And Insidious is two movies, but it's like a 70-30 split where it's one thing until it's not. And apparently Malignant is also that same thing, but it's about an 80-20 split where it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. It's ha- oh, fuck, the movie started. Which I know is a very abstract speech, but that's kind of 
where we are right now. No, um, no, I would say uh, there's a, a movie kind of similar to that. I want to see it. It's a John Carpenter film now, um, The Ward, because it's. I know about the ending to Malignant because unfortunately I watched a video uh, talking about endings and I didn't know they were going to put that on there. And so now I'm like, damn it, now I gotta go watch this. Because you I watched the movie about endings and wa- said, oh no, you spoiled something. I watched a video on endings, yes, and then it spoiled something for me. So I was like, damn it, I'm a dum-dum. Nobody saw it coming. Complete surprise. Yeah, I didn't think they would put the brand new movie out on there. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure, but give me another movie that, again, spoopy movies. Something you saw and touched and felt, this speaks to me. I'm more complete now. I don't think I've ever had a movie do that to me. Jesus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I watch movies and take it as a story, so I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, that's cool. That's a cool concept. Uh, nothing ever really just, like, hits me in the feels or souls. Well, let me rephrase that. Uh, the Shape of Voice did, slightly. But I was going through something then. So, uh, yeah. I think that's probably why it did that. Yeah. So uh, I can I can re- retract that statement. Let me see here. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Nothing recently. I will say nothing recently has done that to me. Where I'm just like, oh god, it it, it spoke to me. It, it just hit me right here in the feels, and I need to just talk about it because all the movies I watched don't really. They're they're the horror movies I watch are not meant to be that. They are like, oh no, it's a stereotypical slasher teen film. So you hey, just give you one. That may promote greater discussion. Let me talk about one that doesn't matter that much. However, I was surprised by it. Do you remember the Harrison Ford film, Clear and Present Danger? Is that, I'm not to ruin it for myself here. Is that the one where he finds out it's his student that's haunting him? No. I remember the name then. Might be wrong. Sorry. I also remember the name. I, and this, this is like, I know the face, I know the type font, I've seen the cover of the film, but I kind of very dimly remembered the movie. And this is curious to me because this movie has been around since 1994. And I didn't give a shit because it was one of these other political thrillers, right? Because who cares? They're all disposable, aren't they? Wink, wink. It is a Jack Ryan film. Excuse me, John Ryan, but he goes by Jack because it's more relatable. It's very American. I didn't know this was a franchised film about a uh, uh, Shakespeare, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes type character who continues on just just existing and being a superhero and saving the world in ways we don't know. And I watched as I was building a, uh, a kit the other day, which is, again, return to form. Like, hey, this is a happy place where I get to build stuff. Clear and Present Danger is a sort of a nightmare American film where, I I guess spoilers, who cares, a close friend of the president of the U.S. at the time, in the mid-90s, is killed by a Colombian drug cartel. Because he deserved to be killed by a Colombian drug cartel because he was laundering money. And the president, knowing this friend, really wants the money, but he won't ever say it. He will never ever say it directly. It's just, we got to get that money. Because it's ours. It's American money, goddammit. And then Jack Ryan a Tom Clancy character who is a sort of a Forrest Gumpy golden boy who used to be a patent clerk for the FBI or CIA or NSA. It depends on the story he's written. Uh, but who is not Jack Reacher. That's a different motherfucker who knows judo. Anyway, Je- <laughs> do you remember Hunt for Red October? I do. Okay, same guy. Okay. 
Can you fucking believe that? Anyway, <laughs> after that shit, uh, James Earl Jones gets pancreatic cancer and dies. Spoiler. Uh, but it's really sad because he was always the Jack boy. Yes, uh, I'm the voice of Darth Vader. Um, it's a very sweet story. And the dad from Coming to America. Oh, I love that movie. That anyway, so clear and present danger. Jack Ryan is involved in a Colombian fiasco where actor who I don't remember his name of, but I've seen him in movies in eighties and nineties, uh, skirts by Congress to get a bill to get the funding to fund Willem Dafoe's private war in the Colombian jungle, featuring guy from Training Day and uh, well, Training Day. And guy from Miss Congeniality, you know who they are. Yeah, they look very Colombian. Uh, basically, waging for, for fucking for a month and a half, just blowing up drug runner shit with no oversight committee, and drawing the ire of all the cartel gangs there, saying we gotta fucking find and kill these people because they're blowing up our shit. Um, in the meantime. Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan is in Washington trying to play the clean game, not aware this war is happening, and they send him locally, where he gets to talk to the people, and they have to say, yeah, I can't tell you the answer because you're not supposed to know what I know, but look over here. And the shadow war continues until enough mobsters die to evoke a result where the bad guy from Desperado has a submachine gun fight with Willem Dafoe and Harrison Ford, and there's a helicopter and explosions happen. I this this movie has so much more going on inside of it than I ever give it credit for because it is again a highly America-specific nightmare story where far away from the action, these white men want the money, and on the other side of the spectrum, far away from the action, these brown men want money. And in the middle, there's Jack Ryan, American Boy Scout, and honorable to a fucking fault in the mess of Washington, D.C., waging the fair fight for tariffs and, and, and drug flow. But still, I enjoyed watching that movie because I greatly underestimated what's going on in the machinery of this particular narrative vehicle. And I just thought, oh, these are actor faces I know. Cool. But then... Willem Dafoe gets to like piggyback off of Platoon when he's still in shape to do this movie and it's in a jungle but it's a different jungle and then there's some great one-liners and a surprising, honestly, a surprising amount of explosions with these guerrilla-funded uh, killers, I'm sorry, soldiers from America uh, find a drug lab and then they sort of alert the guards but they just blow it up and that's okay. Uh, many, many brown people died. Good, good movie. I'm gonna say good movie. Uh, deeply inaccessible and weirdly fashioned within a canon of Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy bullshittery. Uh, sitting at a six point nine out of ten on IMDb. Um, but I mean, if you thought that Air Force One was good, this is this is better. I fucking forgot about Air Force One. Get off my plane. But then, if I were to say that that guy is Jack Ryan, you'd believe me at this point because Jack Ryan. <laughs> Portrayed by Alec Baldwin, not Harrison Ford, managed to talk a defective, defective, excuse me, defecting Soviet nuclear subcommander to coming over to the U.S. and also resolved the Colombian drug crisis. <laughs> Became the president of the United States and then kicked Gary Oldman off his fucking plane. That kind of tracks. That don't kind forget, of tracks. Don't forget, he was a fugitive at one point and then he murdered his wife, but it wasn't him. It was a one-armed man and. A Fucking Tommy Lee Jones doesn't care. Yeah. 
And then he ran down a dam, which as a kid, you go, yeah, he runs down a dam. As an adult, you go, what the fuck is your end game? There's propellers down there. What the fuck is wrong with you? But he does it. Yeah, I you're watched, right. I'm, Jack Ryan. Yeah, I watched that, and my oldest is like, Dad, <laughs> she goes, Daddy, you can, he jumped off a dam. Did he live? I'm like, in real life or in this? She's like, in this? Yes, he lives. In real life? No, he's fucking dead. She's the script like, says he lives. <laughs> Honey, did you know that from that distance, hitting water is like hitting concrete? Just saying. No, but but Daddy, I threw a knife at it. Oh, you're right, honey. That completely dispels out all the danger. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it displaced enough water as you hit it that it you're fine. What the fuck is life, dude? It's a I bunch of I, it's a bunch I of hope midnight. I die hitting water so fast. I don't know what happened. And just to think, at one point, Tommy Lee Jones hacks an air, you know, hacks a fucking U.S. carrier and becomes a terrorist and has to fight off a fat guy who plays the blues. Man. That was a killer jacket, I just got to say. Also, this little piggy went to market. <laughs> oh, dear God. People are going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? These are a bunch of movies, by the way. You uh, guys like references? Because we fucking got the references, all right? Yeah, uh, we got tons of those. Oh, my God. I'm gonna you have to can watch. guess our age and our socials based on the things we reference. Do your homework. <laughs> oh, most of these movies we're talking about, though, came out when I was like a wee lad. Yeah, and now we're watching them thinking, I never actually watched this. Like, I'm here now, and I'm seeing this, and this is amazing. How did I not? Well, the answer is you were eight. You watched it, and like, oh, yeah, cool, movie's on. Yay, Tommy Lee Jones got stabbed by the, the sheriff from Louisiana or whatever. And then you watch it and think, god damn, I mean, wow, I had no idea. Exactly. It wasn't Gary Sinise. It wasn't Gary Sinise. Holy shit, I lost his name. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Not Gordon Ramsay was in that movie. Also, now the girl that jumped out of the cake. Um, I mean, drug abuse is bad, but that wasn't the message. The message was titties. Titties happened, and then Steven Seagal didn't even pause. He just went, mm, yeah, I have to save this woman. She seems really in distress. She's dating musicians. I got to save her. As opposed to, oh, bitch, keep dancing. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, have you seen the original Assault on Precinct 13? No. So there is a... I mean, I am watching a Red Letter Media serial of every John Carpenter movie, but I have not seen the original Assault on District 13. Oh, my God. Okay. So it's not a cult. It's nine, but it's who nine. cares? Yeah, yeah. No, it's Precinct 9. But uh, <laughs> have you gotten to the part where they talk about that? Yes. It's I haven't a... watched the newest, but I've seen two out of the three. Okay, so they... I completely forgot about that. So my dad showed me that movie back in, like, when I was a wee lad again. Um, but the scene where I forgot about it, where he kills the girl, I asked for Vanilla Swirl! And just shoots her, like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and the dad doesn't even do anything. I'm like, I forgot. I forgot. I'm gonna kill them all! Versus, oh, my baby. Yeah, like, I need to help my daughter. She just got shot through the chest. I need to kill these fuckers! Like, oh, oh shit, I forgot about that. Like, yeah, he does do that, doesn't he? John Carpenter... Write some of the funniest shit in serious movies, and you're just like, I, I forgot about that. Like, it's kind of dumb, but I like it. Thank you, John Carpenter. Like, who thinks of, hey, I need to write a film, and it's about glasses, but I need to have a 15-minute fight scene between the two protagonists where they knee each other in the balls, and he just keeps saying, put on the fucking glasses. Oh, the man. beauty is a sufficiently afflicted mind 
will be able to evoke the things that we're all thinking, but they have the courage to go, no, I'm saying it out loud so you can hear it. And you go, please don't! And then he says, Battlefield 4 is $5! And then they all just die. Uh, the following are Jack Ryan films. May I please read this list to you? Yes, hold on. I, I, for the past nine minutes, there hasn't been video going. So for everybody on YouTube who's watching this, terribly sorry. Uh, we, we're amateurs and idiots. And some of us don't even know how to read. Mostly me. So here we are. You ready? Indeed. Okay. So I'm going to say the, the film title and the year it was released. Okay? Mm-hmm. The Hunt for Red October is the first Jack Ryan film released in 84. And it it's fantastic on oh, its well, own. When was it released? 1984. Well, no, no, no. I don't... I, 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 Hunt for Red October was released in 84? I thought it was 90. You're welcome to correct me, but I'm looking at the internet right now based on our Lord and Savior, Guggle. Excuse me, Clovis. Different name. The next game is The Patriot Games, 1987. Jack Ryan movie. We just didn't know that. Yeah, wait, hold on here. The Hunt for Red October with Alec Baldwin was in 1990. Sean Connery. 1984. Film series. <laughs> yes, 1990. But the action thriller, it started right then. Then it's the Cardinal of the Kremlin. These are the books, actually. Ah. Then Clear and Present Danger. Then The Sum of All Fears. Then Without Remorse. Then Debt of Honor. Then Executive Orders. And there are more items besides. But what we have is a pattern of works written over about 10 years of time, 12 specifically here, where this American Boy Scout gets to, well, fix the world, basically. And without any repercussion or trauma to himself and his family, he still stays there. I think there's a subplot where he gets divorced and everything's terrible. But I just need you to, to, to figure out that Jack Ryan saves the world consecutively every three years, and then Jack Reacher knows judo. I just need you to make that aware in your mind. I am. So not, not to interrupt you here. Okay, so Tom Clancy died in 2013, and there have been... One, two, three, four, five, six books in the Jack Ryan series released after his death. Some people would call that rape. Others would not. So here's the books. Full Force and Effect. Commander-in-Chief. Truth, Faith, and Allegiance. Power and Empire. Oath of Office and Code of Honor. Those are the, the books. The titles are agreeable and, and smoother as they go on. I like the first three. <laughs> more yes. complex yeah so i was looking i'm look. i'm looking at the book book series now and in order it supposedly it goes patriot games red rabbit hunt for route october the cardinal of the kremlin clear and present danger some of all fears dead of honor executive order which i believe is also a movie isn't it i believe that it is i haven't looked it up yet the bear and the dragon i believe that's also a movie the teeth of the tiger dead or alive locked on full force and effect uh command authority commander in chief Truth, faith, and truth, true faith, and allegiance, power, and empire, oath of office, and code of honor. So I'm assuming whoever wrote the book in 2019, six years after he died. Um, okay, so authors. It's actually three of them. So Mark Greenery wrote uh, Full Force and Effect, and let's see here. Mark, yep, he wrote Commander in Chief. He also wrote True Faith and Allegiance. Power Empire was done by Mark Cameron. 
Mark Cameron did the last three. So I'm assuming Mark Cameron ended the film, uh, ended the series, and Mark Greeny filled in the subsequent three next three books. How much pants shitting terror do you think Mark Green faced when he was told or elected to say, "I will take on the legacy of Tom Clancy in this property, specifically this character," because again, it's too much shit to have one man write it all, unless it's not. I don't think it is. I think it's. Uh, I think it was just he. Both of the guys who did it have books in this type of genre under their belt. So I think it was just like, hey, we need you to wrap this up for us. And they went okay, dokely, and they just did it. Okay. Well, further highlights. Not nothing is sacred. So here we are. But, I hate that. So here are the films. First is the Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Next two are Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan. In Patriot yeah. Games, and then Clear and Present Danger. Next one, guess who plays Jack Ryan? Uh, Kaczynski. Affleck. Yeah, some, some of all fears. Yep, some of all fears. Next one is... I can't read what that says. Shadow Recruit, and that has the guy, Chris Pine. And then Krasinski picks him up in the prequel series. It's supposed to be him as he starts out in whatever the new Amazon TV series is called. I think it's just called... Jack or Ryan something. I don't know. What Jack that. Ryan. Three syllables of all American awesome. Has an eagle Chucks. screech across. Chucks. Yeah. Chuck. That tells me that no other movies you've watched are potent enough to express upon. Uh, no, not really. Because the biggest... So the thing with slasher films is there's not a whole lot to delve into. I mean, it's the stereotype... Like, all slasher films and horror films kind of start the same way especially with teen slasher films it's oh no like there's a teen and something bad happened and one died now they're all gonna die except the one that we focus on who's normally the good girl there are normal a few exceptions uh scream uh kills off the big name actor at the time uh this was before nev campbell got big in the uh well nev campbell got big after this uh drew barrymore she was the biggest name actor and uh, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods just kills everybody by the gods. Like, no, we're, we're killing people for a reason. Uh, but you guys, you, you, need to, you need to die so the gods don't come up. And they oh, just essentially... Cabin is, a, Cabin is a thoroughly meta film. But you can't watch, or you shouldn't, watch meta movies without understanding what that meta is. Oh, you have yeah. to know the genre first and then say, oh, I see where you're diverging from this. As opposed to, wow, this mashup makes no sense, but it's really watchable. I like it. Cool. No, Sigourney no. Weaver, man, she's like cool and stuff. No, no, no. I, I get it because I'm a big horror fan. I laughed at all the tropes and shit, and I was like, I like this. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, I'm also the sick, twisted person who finds the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie as a good movie. I'm like the one human on Earth. And I don't find it good for like, it's a good acted movie and it's a well-written script. I find it good because it's fucking hilarious. Hey, Chuck, so you're getting really, really echoey. Um, oh, sorry. Are you not deep-throating the mic anymore? Are you uh, leaning back, motherfucker? I am slightly leaning back. Sorry. Oh. But yeah, no, I, I enjoy those. T- I enjoy campy horror movies or supposed to be like horror movies. Like yeah. Gremlins. Gremlins, everybody's like, that's a horror movie. I'm like, that's not a horror movie. That's a kid's movie, but it's still good. Oh, it's a horror movie. I'm going to go with that. It is very much a terror but it's filmed in a way that's kind of kind and friendly and safe. Even though you could replace the Grumman's with rats 
and those rats become koalas, and the koalas eat everything you love. And give everybody chlamydia. Yeah. It's awful, but it's fun. All right. I'm going to lay some movies on you, sir. All right. These films my wife has not seen until I showed them to her. And I would like for you to give me a couple sentences here and there, etc., to react to them. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Once again, these were like one per night in sequence. So I need you to think about the compounding effect here. Okay. Uh, Baby Driver. Good movie. Uh, what the hell is the director's name? He did Shaun of the Dead series, the Cornetto trilogy. He did. Eddie Wright. Edgar Wright. Edgar yeah. Wright. Good movie. Just, just that's all. It's all got from it's a good movie. No, no, that's no. That's fine. I, it is. It's a good movie. I, I enjoyed the soundtrack to go with it, and I like the idea of the concept. And I know they're making a sequel. Do I think there needs to be a sequel? No, but I quite enjoy the film, and it's one of my dad's favorite films. So that's how I got to watch it. Nice. So it holds a sentimental value to me. I moved you... back, and my dad watched it, and he was like, "You should watch it. Sit down and watch it with me." This is the first movie I watched when I got back. That's actually pretty special. Have you seen Drive? With Ryan Gosling. Gosling. I have not. Um, that's the... I hate to ruin it for everybody. That's the one where he dies with like the first 15 minutes of the movie, right? Not accurate. That's actually the place between well, the pines. Fine. That's it. Okay. Different film with the same spoiler. The idea... It's hard to say. You, you won't do this, but in case you do, if you get a two-day or a one-day stretch, watch Baby Driver then watch Drive and reconcile the fact that they came together. They came out pretty close together. And they're very different films. In the weirdest way, like The Raid, colon Redemption, and Dread. They came out pretty close together. They're the same-ish, but they're different. Okay, Baby Driver and Drive are explicitly different films, but they share context. If that makes sense. Oh, I actually just watched a film with Carrie Mulligan in it. She's in Drive. Cool. Watched Watch Drive. Yeah. Okay, so Baby Driver was the first night. Then, again, reminder, first time watching thing. So before you go, how could you not? People happen all the time, and it's their first time forever. The first time the penis enters your body, it's, never mind, separate subject. Uh, Braveheart. Love it. Love Historically it. Okay. inaccurate, but so goddamn good of a dumbass movie. Oh, I hate it for being historically inaccurate. Love Mel Gibson's acting. Uh, none of the face paint or anything is historically accurate. I love that it's the Battle of uh, Strat Stratford Bridge, and there's no fucking bridge to be seen within miles. God damn, Mel Gibson. It was over the hill. It was just past the hill. Who cares? So, Braveheart, you like. Yep. I like okay. a lot of I'm not, classic I'm, Mel Gibson movies that are historically inaccurate. Well, he also directed that one, so Apocalypto is my next closest link to that. Um, I, I'm going to say something I noticed that will bug the shit out of you. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, before Bannockburn, there's a battle, and the Scots are charging the English. And the camera continues to cut back to Mel Gibson charging. Here's the problem. Between cuts, Mel Gibson goes from having a pickaxe or hammer in his hand to charging with a Zweihander to charging barehanded to charging with the axe again. It is alarmingly distracting once you notice it. 
Because when it cuts back to the guy, he just has different shit in his hands at all times. And then when he charges the enemy line, it's a one-handed weapon. And then when he's doing cool action shit, it's a two-handed weapon. Sometimes he's barehanded. It, mm, it, it definitely debuffs the fun at some degree. So I'm going to correct myself here. It was the Battle of Sterling Bridge. The Battle of Stanford Bridge um, is going to be the battle between Harold Godwinson and Harold Hardrada right before he fought uh, William of Orange or William the Bastard or William the Conqueror, however you want to know him. So I'm terribly sorry for, sorry for the historical inaccuracy there. Uh-huh. But, but go then, on. how about them cuts, though? The Did cuts you ever are... notice that, it, that the, the contents of his hands change aggressively? Yes, I, I have noticed. Uh, you I have noticed. Oh, yeah. Like I said, like a lot of the shit that Mel Gibson does for his like historical films, like uh, the only good one that was really historically accurate was uh, uh, "We Were Soldiers Once" and "Young." That's the name of the book. The movie's called "We Were Soldiers." That was pretty damn close. Uh, to what it was, so I'll give him credit for that one. Patriot, not very historically accurate. He didn't direct it. He no, but it was the same writer as Braveheart. Sure. So I okay. Will... Next movie. Yep. Ready. I'm ready. Okay. The Shawshank Redemption. Love. Ooh, one of my favorite films of all time. It is a close behind. Shaving Ryan's privates. Why? I just enjoy the like the whole outline of what Andy Dufresne goes through in that his whole situation from being framed to murder to being found out that he didn't commit the murder. And then because he does such a great job, he gets screwed over by the warden. Clancy Brown does a phenomenal job of being the asshole head uh, officer uh, for the cell block. It is a well-acted movie all the way around. It gets praise now. It did not get praise when it came out. Uh, by the way, the Hacksaw Ridge is what I saw. Good movie, by the way. Mel Gibson directed film. Um, I did not enjoy it. I did not. I was hoping to enjoy it because it was so praised. I almost hated that film. You hated Let's Hacksaw Ridge? I did. Uh, Fucking stupid. Fucking stupid. I never said it was. It's actually what the guy did. I mean, it's a true event. That's what the guy did. I yes, mean, you're right. The story is good. The story itself is fantastic. The story is inspirational because you don't have to be a kill-hungry asshole to help affect the world in a, in a positive way. But all the focus upon that specific circumstance was so bizarre to me because it the movie dissolved the tropes so aggressively. Like Again, maybe this is just me. But we're, we're showing this person who's growing up in the average American farmer life. And, oh, okay, maybe they're on a the spectrum. I don't know. Hard to say. And then they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, other people are joining the war. I should join the war. And the the the, the dad, Hugo Weaving, was terrific. Actually, I really yeah. enjoyed his performance. It was like, the, he survived the First World War. We never talk about those fuckers. They're all dead now. Who cares? Uh, the First World War survivors... We're hoping there would never be a second that it happened and they all killed themselves. That's how bad it was, okay? Then he goes to the war and everyone forest gumps him to go like, oh, I idiot. But he's a capable person plus he's handsome, so that that's a complicating factor. And then when the shit happens, they go, you're going to be sent to Vietnam. Actually, you're going to go to this little island where the Japanese really feel like you shouldn't be there anymore. Like that's That's like kind of the mood. You know, catch the vibe. There's this cliff for no fucking reason, and you have to tie back the rope scene for making knots from the beginning of the movie to like 
not your way back up there. And then when you deploy your forces at the edge of the game board, you press forward, and then mortars kill all of your men. So the main character has to pick up the pieces of the men and bring them back, because he, again, has... Sorry, Chugs. He has retard strength, where he can pick the people up and bring them back forever, because stamina is not a thing and dehydration doesn't exist. He will just bring the pieces of the people back, and then the officers at the bottom say, oh, that, I guess it's everything, we're leaving. And then, spoilers, and then the guy keeps bringing bodies back, and there's like two guards on duty saying, that's weird, there's more bodies coming off that cliff very slowly in a rope harness. Maybe you should investigate. And then the guy gets shot and crippled for life, and like the asshole cool dude with the, 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 the automatic browning rifle, um, he gets killed eventually after saying, yeah, you're a pretty good guy. It's, I'm sorry, Chucks, it's all, it's, it's all tropes. It was extremely shallow compared to what I was expecting. And that's my fault. My expectations were higher because people said, this is a great movie. But then I watched it and thought, this is shallow as fuck. So here's the yeah, bad part. Oh, oh. Yeah, Here. So here's the thing. Uh, the cliff was a real incident on Okinawa. That was a real situation. Um, what he did when he pulled all the people down, I, I watched a documentary on it before I ever watched the movie, uh, yeah. where he pulled, he, he did all through the night, 75 people he did actually save by dragging them down a bridge all throughout the night. How, how is that man not autistic? Explain I, that to me. I don't know. I might agree with you on that. He may be. Um, he he actually a lot of the stuff you mentioned in the beginning. Yeah, he he actually did do it. The us assaulting a cliff. I think it was six times uh, to get the cliff. We did do for some reason. I don't know. That was part of a certain things objective for Okinawa. Yes, eight hundred people at a time agreed. <laughs> this is what should happen. Are you fucking kidding me? Look, I, I never said they were smart back then, man. Uh, but so him going back and coming back was something he did. Uh, his buddy dying before they retreated and then forgetting about him um, was a thing. And them waiting before he got went, they went back up for the second assault uh, was a thing. But I think it said they waited like 45 minutes on the documentary before they actually assaulted. And because the bombardment was already happening and they were running over there at and they said they were waiting on him. And it pissed the superiors off, but that actually happened. And then he did save his uh, off captain's life by getting blown up by a grenade. Now the other shit, it, it's tropey, but it just so happens to be a lot of the tropes actually fucking happened. <laughs> like it's no, it, they, they did, but the storytelling is a question here. I would have deeply preferred if Spielberg or somebody else told the story. Eastwood. The story is worth telling. It's a yes, exactly, exactly. Eastwood, I was thinking of. So. What happened here was the deep frustration of this is a good story and I hate that you're the one telling it. This is what happened. Not because of political reasons, because of this is what you're portraying and I'm not connecting with this material. The material seems goddamn good. I want this to be a thing that I want to engage with and feel within myself and say, yeah, you know, nonviolence can still be a productive element of your interaction with this conflict. But then I just see Andrew Garfield running a lot and carrying people a lot and thinking, I know a movie like this. And then not engaging what's happening here. It's called Running Man. Yeah, Running Man. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, Stephen that, King that's novella. Uh, but speaking of Vince Vaughn, uh, terrible performance as a drill sergeant. Did novel. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Holy <laughs> shit. So bad. <laughs> I was angry. I was thinking, Vince, I don't know what the fuck you think you're doing. That's not happening. This is no, bad. Yeah, it was bad. But I have to give him credit. Have you seen the movie Freaky? No. Uh, I would recommend it. It is a slasher film 
except the, the premise is dumb. So it's, it's um, a meta film slightly. Uh, it's making fun of horror tropes. But Vince Vaughn playing a slasher who then has to act like a, a, a high school age girl. Phenomenal. It, it hits so well with him for some reason. He did a very good job in that film, I think. Uh, if you want to watch it and let me know what you think. I enjoyed him being <laughs> the the actual villain slash protagonist at the same time. So, uh, and then I got... Twenty recent film. You know I don't trust recent films, yeah? I know you don't, but I would recommend it. Uh, hold on here. I can't remember the shop teacher's name. Uh, his death, he's a... What is he in? Oh, Alan Ruck. He's been in a lot of shit. Yeah. Wait. Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's right. He's the buddy. I forgot about that. Uh, way he dies in the film is pretty good. Hey, Chucks. Mm -hmm. Never saw Ferris Bueller. You really? Yeah, that's a gap that I have that I'll fix at some point. Not a priority. He's in Twister too. He's also in Twister. Let me before I say Twister. Yeah. That that's a better poll, honestly. Uh, he's in this. And the way, do you want me to tell you how he dies? Yeah, sure. Tell me. Okay, so the body's already switched. So the main character is Millie and Vince Vaughn switch. And so Vince Vaughn is trying to stop her and she's at school and he is the shop teacher. Terribly sorry about that. And he gives her shit. So finally she comes back in as the killer and she's sitting there looking all seductive like, like I'm going to fuck you up. And he starts running her mouth and he starts to fight her. Well, she gets the upper hand and she knocks him onto the saw table after she stabs him in the neck with a pin. And he's bleeding, and she just takes him by the feet, which is uh, like crazy, and I don't think it's humanly possible for a small girl her size to do this, and just pushes him through the saw and cuts him all the way in half. What? You're saying women can't pull men through saws? No, pushed him through a saw. I, I, just... <laughs> I yeah. believe women can do it, uh, but the way her character is portrayed in the film, I don't think how weak her she's supposed to be portrayed, that she'd be able to just push this guy on a wooden slab that isn't shellacked or anything that has a smooth surface and just push him through a saw, especially with how sure, much, fo sure, sure. how much force it's going to require to go through that saw with her. her is, that a wicked, is that a wicked sick kill? It is. It's very nice. I, I would have to give them props on a, a good idea thought of. And so good job. Whoever created this movie. There you go. Okay. Back to your cool. films. Glad Shawshank Brooks was here. What do you got to say? Oh, that is such a depressing scene, but I understand. Oh it my all. God, yes it is. It, that hits, okay, so you want to talk about a movie hits you in the feels. That scene right there hits you in the feels super hard. And the but whole movie hits you in the feels, really. What's the last time you saw that scene? How old were you? 30. 30, okay. So you're in ago. 10 more years, that scene gets more real. In 10 more years... That scene gets more real. And ten more point being, whatever you engage with for your life for fifty years that you and I don't know about because we're not fifty yet, um, then they fucking eject you from whatever you're doing and saying, Go make it out there. How is suicide not the answer? There is no life to be had because you have nothing to cling to, no one to support you, everyone you've known and loved has died, you're alone, and everyone hates you because you don't belong to the time that they're in. Do you get that? That's crushing! It is. What was your wife's opinion? Oh, she said it was a good movie. She said it was a good movie. Good movie. It's good. It's good. It's great. Not a formative. It affected her. This is fair. This is true. It's her first time. If we ever watch it again, the opinions will be more articulated. But as it stands, she said, 
uh, I believe this is one of her top favorite movies now, which is easy to uh, see. Shawshank yeah. is a miracle of a film because the right talents at the right time in their lives were involved in making that happen. And Clancy Brown, I'm sure, is clutched at the whole situation. Um, what did she? How did she take the rape scene with Andy versus the the sisters? Right? She never brought it up. Okay. I was curious that 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 scene's hard to watch because he's fighting him off. And then all of a sudden it's just but he gets his revenge. Clancy Brown, he helps Clancy Brown out. and Clancy Brown's just like, oh, you want to fuck with my boy? I got you, bitches. And yeah, he, because mutual interest is a, is, a, is a huge thing. It's that bad shit happens. But if it favors me, I'll just let it happen this way. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Yeah, Cl- Clancy. Clancy satisfies satisfies the audience. He does a thing that is good for the watching public. To say, oh, don't worry, this evil will not go unpunished. Structurally, that makes sense. But in terms of motivation is... Spoilers, guys, sorry. Shawshank is 20 years old. It's a good film. Go watch it. Um, hey, listen, if you fuck my accountant in whatever holes his body can offer without his satisfaction, I'm going to beat you so bad that you'll live, but you'll never experience life in the same way because your joints and nerves will be uh, destroyed. So you go fuck yourself and go die slowly in a care facility that causes taxpayers to, you know, experience grief. But at least my bookie is secure and sound. Until I'm arrested later in the film for tax fraud. Uh, That's a lot to say. I'm sorry. And go watch the movie anyway, because all of that is really intelligible up until time. But the sisters are portrayed as a subhuman group early in the film. And continuously. So it's not like they have complex motivations. No, it's just, it's men locked in a building that need to express. And they found that purpose within attacking other men and expressing themselves. That That is the whole dynamic. There's nothing complex about that. It's just, this works and I feel better for a while and I'll just do that forever until I die. Or until Clancy Brown breaks my joints. So yeah. I die in the wheelchair. All right, uh, next movie you had to watch. Oh, next movie. You're moving on. I'm sorry. Is this too grim? No, 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 that... it's not. Uh, is, is it too real? Next movie was Heat. I never finished that. I know. Fuck you for not finishing it. All I ever, all I ever see about it, though, is like that shootout scene at the end. It's so good. And I'm like, yeah, it might be. I just got to get to it one day. Okay. So may, may, may I speak about Heat? You may. Uh, Heat was two watches. It was an hour and a half, roughly, in the beginning, and then about an hour and a half on the second day. So it was two-day watch. It, it was a, this is a lot, let me think about this, and then here's the rest of it in the same, then the, the, the next day. The point of it, in a lot of ways, was a lot more approachable, because the conflict that maybe, Chuck, so you yourself don't see the same way, uh, Robert De Niro, who used to be an actor, and Al Pacino, who used to be an actor, uh, they're playing roughly the same character. And it is an intensely Los Angeles story. It is, again, aggressively Los Angeles story because there's a huge amount of surface area and everyone's still a shallow character. So what's up with that? L.A., right? The idea is one man is on the side of the law and he's a homicide detective, and he's high up in his rank, and his life is fucking garbage, but what he does, he does well. 
And then the other guy is a master, uh, not master, but a highly capable uh, hit runner, a score runner. He he steals, he takes that which is not his. And he's very good at that, but again, there's no life outside of that. And then one character, the cop, if you will, uh, has given up on having a good life, but he's still chasing the embers of what is possible. And the other guy, the criminal, really wants to buy his way into a life after this is done. So you have the same kind of person, but their ambitions are diverse. In the middle of that are all the other criminals and cops who have their own stories, but it's two crews pitted against each other over time. About, let's say, three weeks. This movie takes place over about three weeks. And the tension is that the criminals want to get paid, and they would have gotten paid, actually, at the beginning of the film, except for one of them does a whoopsie, and then that compromises the pay table, which means the, 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 the run leader of the whole organization has to find a different way to get his guys to get paid, which doubles down the risk, but the payoff is higher. And both sides consistently face, let's call them setbacks, complications, problems. And each side doggedly says, but let's do it. To the point where in one point of the film, a guy leaning back against the wall fucks up the entire scenario because it makes noise. And then everyone just leaves. Which, as ludicrous as it sounds, is just real enough to make you think, oh no. This fantasy film about criminals and cops is actually highly real because that's how life works. Chucks. I gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. It's Heat is... Uh, okay, the, the whole joke of my family is that because of my wife, um, every time I say Heat, she used to say, oh yeah, The Heat with Sandra Bullock and, and Melissa McCarthy. And I would just bristle and fight the urge to punch something the entire time because she had no context of what she was comparing so flippantly. After watching that movie, her her thesis, by and large, is those two men should just kiss because that's what they actually want. But their life conventions forbid that. So instead, let's get paid. Uh, that the Heat would be completely different if it had Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock in it. I'm just trying to imagine the lines as Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock are sitting from across each other and doing the whole uh, dialogue between uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. But it works. Actually, it works. If they weren't like doing a snarky comedy twist on the whole fucking thing, you could. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. You could do a completely female recast of Heat. You could do that. Release the whole movie as, as angry as it make people. But what you have to do is get all the cast members to understand what this movie is and then act out those characters with no additions. No redemption arcs. No, but we can do it better. Have everyone be the same fucking shitty human being that they are and just do that. And it would work. Because could you not try and picture... I mean, Chuck's... Uh, I know it's hard... Picture Melissa and Sandra sitting across from each other. Who's who? By the way, Chucks, who's who? I'm going to say Melissa's Al Pacino, but you tell me. No, no. I think Sandra Bullock's Al Pacino. Okay. 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 So she's like 
super aggressive, like like constantly about to pop off, but not quite. And the other one's a smooth operator. Is that is that what's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then again, try and recast the film in your hand. It is at a flash inspiration. It still works. As long as you're not trying to change the message. The movie is still about disaster. All the pieces that are spinning, that are involved, that are required to make the story happen, it's still a series of heists in the law enforcement agencies pursuing those heists to the best of their ability within the law as much as they can. And then to get it all to come apart. And the answer is the law was always helpless. The only way this ends is that the thieves fuck each other. And at the end, that's what causes their downfall. Because the, the antagonist of the film, uh, in your case, uh, Melissa McCarthy, had a fantastic working philosophy. It all worked. It took her forgetting what she's about to get her caught. And that movie still works. But what that requires is for the heat to die and go away forever in public consciousness. And Heat, the Michael Mann film, to just stand supreme as a heist story that uh, requires veneration. The next night, what we watched was... <laughs> next. What do you mean? You're out of words? What the fuck? Hey, Chucks, come on. You're better than this. Anyway, um, the next movie after this was Horse Gump. Really good movie. Not my favorite, but I get why people like it. Do you have anything else to offer about that? I liked the scenery for everything. How it was shot in Savannah. The the backdrop or the parking lot. Or the parking lot, excuse me, the bus stop. Uh, I've been there. Um, very, very quaint spot in downtown. Um, it's a good story on how Tom Hanks became famous by shooting one film. I'm kidding. Um, no, it's... I like the idea of how one man went through all these historical events and he somehow managed to make it through all for the sake of just trying to end up with one woman. It's it's a good movie. So at the end of the day, good job whoever directed the film and Tom Hanks. And the lady who played Jenny. Uh, wasn't it Ivan Reitman? Let's look that up. Did you ever, uh, ever, 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 and I'm not saying you should have, look up the book versus the movie? It's completely different from what I've seen about it. Well, what do you mean? What What's different? I thought it was the same thing. Uh, there's a lot more to the story, uh, is what I hear. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Bob Zemeckis. Bob, uh, it's, it's a Zemeckis film. Uh, from my understanding, there's a lot more to the story. Oh, by the way, Gary Sinise, great job, Lieutenant Dan. Um, oh, absolutely. There's a bunch that was left out and scenes were altered. So uh, according to the guy who wrote the book, he did not like it. He said well, it was a travesty to his book wouldn't you rather that forrest gump were intensely racist no it doesn't have to be i disagree but that disagreement as contentious as it might be is based upon thought processes because forrest gump as portrayed in the movie he does show flashes of anger when what he cares about is threatened absolutely That's, that makes sense but Forrest Gump is almost like a helpless force where Forrest pursues whatever is apparent to him or whatever he, compact he makes is a contract or agreement forever, like the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. He's a holy fool. 
in, in most ways, Forrest Gump probably went to the moon, which you didn't see it on film. But the difference is a more aware human being with less kindness in the book, which has judgments and aggressions and perspectives, which are highly troubling to an average person. But if you follow the logic, it all shakes out. Yeah, of course you're angry and you don't like these kinds of people because this, this is what you experience, this is what you feel. Yeah, that part makes sense. It's just not fun to watch. So Forrest Gump is a holy fool story that creates a sense of, oh, the poor deer, well, it's so cute that he did that, versus, oh, this man is an asshole. I hate that he's a national ping pong champion for racist reasons. Right? Yeah. No? You get sleepy. It's okay. No, no, no. It's it's not sleepy. Sorry. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, give me some more Forrest Gump thoughts. Oh, sorry. I was reading the uh, the stuff about uh, the book, so that's why. Um, yeah, the, the the book is a bit of a trip by comparison. Yeah, no, it is. That's so. I am slightly lost on what you asked me. Well, again, Forrest Gump is a magic creature. And we accept him for his good-naturedness as a magic creature. But if Forrest Gump were more real, more relatable, would that be a benefit? Or would that destroy the movie's entire sense of mood? I think he would probably ruin it. Having a lovable, uh, gullible idiot, I think, helps the story out a lot. Because he's just so naive and sees everything as so being so good. That if you just had a person who was just a normal person doing it, and it was just potentially nihilistic or something and just saw the world as dark and dreadful, it would probably ruin the film. So if you came across someone that you understood innately is physically supreme to you, they can do shit you can only dream of. But they're too dumb to realize it. How would you feel? I would let them be them. Yeah, but them being them is... That fucker actually literally just double jumped. I don't know how that works, but they just did that. He did it. Good on him. Okay. Well, it's very charitable, Chucks. I'm I'm, I'm glad you're progressive and not judgmental by comparison. No, I try to be. So again, to, to rename these films, uh, Baby Driver, mm-hmm. Braveheart, uh, Shawshank, then we went to Heat, and then we went to Forrest Gump. Like that's that's a fairly intense array of films, one per night overall. That's a lot of film history to cover between the late '80s and early aughts, if you will. Yeah. How does that make you feel, if anything? It brings me back. To, brings me back to my childhood. Remembers makes me remember the good old days of film. Okay. Well, early days, right? There was no Kubrick at all in that whole list. Well, let me also add on that I somehow negotiated the possibility of uh, watching Ghostbusters with my wife, which she repelled many weeks in a row because of the cover, because of the feel. She had an irrational but potent reason to not see this movie. Which one? And they were... the, there's only one. Chucks, what are you talking okay. about? There's all Ghostbusters. Gotcha. Make it sure. There's only one. They made it in uh, 1980s, whatever the fuck. Let's see. Uh, 
based on fact-checking 1984. As I told her, no one had ever hit this mark again afterwards, including its direct sequel and its revitalization sequel. Hmm. Chuck, do you have any feels about this at all? No, I mean, so here's the problem with uh, Ghostbusters. I haven't seen that in 20 years almost. Yeah. So I really don't remember a whole lot about it. I didn't want to see the new one just because it didn't look good from the trailer. It was nothing against the cast. It just did not look like a good film to me. Okay. So I don't remember the first, the original and the sequel. I don't remember a whole lot about them. That's okay. I understand this. I respect that. However, I recommend you rewatch Ghostbusters. All right. Because it's marketed by and large as a comedy. Yes? Yeah. Okay. It's not. It's really not. It's not a comedy. Melodrama is perhaps more accurate. Because, structurally speaking, without too many spoilers, the idea is that there are three men who are involved with the academia and low-performance effort bases, one being a con man and two being dedicated scientists who are just completely out of sync with the reality, by and large, are ejected from the system, which is university, college, culture, and strike up a business that is doomed to fail because they have to mortgage, like sell off a house to get a hold of a urban facility to operate out of, and they're going to go out of business and die. But then conveniently, the end of the world starts coming around, so their business model happens to co-align with whatever the fuck is happening outside of their windows, and they suddenly get super busy, and then in their success, they get to wonder, why are we so busy all of a sudden? Because we had nothing up until like two weeks ago, and now we're just drowning in jobs and cash. And then Gozer the Destroyer shows up, and they get to engage that and say, I am horrifically underqualified to deal with this. Fuck it! Let's flip on the thing and cross the streams! And then they live. <laughs> like it's it's an absurdist story. And yeah, there's a cartoon show and there's a remake and there's a sequel. But Ghostbusters stands apart in so many ways because if you think about them as human beings, not characters, it's 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 in, in, intensely more engaging than you think it is from the outset. Because when you say, hey, Ghostbusters, like those words don't belong together. Ghost is a word. Buster is a word. Well, the first thing doesn't exist. So why are you worried about the second thing? But you say Ghostbusters, you go, oh yeah, fucking Ghostbusters. Yeah, I've seen the logo. White and red. You know, there's a pudgy man, Stay off Marshmallow Man. I am excited about this movie existing because it is the right kind of Stephen King story, honestly. I can see it as a Stephen King story. I recommend at some point you watch it so we can talk about it again so that you get to yawn away whatever I'm saying now. And then when it's fresh for you, you get to say, oh my gosh, bro, you're like on top of this. And then we talk about it because Ernie Hudson is a sexy man. He is indeed. Um, I got a film uh, that's for both of us to watch and talk about next time. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, The Fugitive. I highly enjoy The Fugitive. Uh, Where did you watch The Fugitive? On what service or stream? HBO Max. I watched uh, HBO Max has a lot of films. I don't believe I have any dollars going towards HBO Max. Is there an alternative version I can watch it on? Let's find out. 
The Fugitive is a film that I'll be interested in seeing again because U.S. Marshals has been a family staple, weirdly enough, for its own time. And The Fugitive has been about the same tier as Under Siege 2, honestly. We we talk about it, we just don't watch it because it doesn't have the same kind of meaning to the people involved. If that makes sense. Maybe yeah. it doesn't. Hold on here. I'm holding on. Again, clutching my genitals the entire time. They're, they're turning blue. I have to figure something else out. Oh, I don't want to... Not the series, goddammit. Chuck's is struggling, everybody. That's to be expected. No human being can talk to another human being for over two hours' time. It's impossible. Nah, it's only, it's only on HBO Max. Okay. I would like to watch it. If I cannot, I hope you'll forgive me, but I'll be open to whatever discussion you have next time that we're talking about this. I'm trying to think of another movie we can watch. Because um, I'll rewatch Ghostbusters. i got to find out what I can watch it on. Let's see. Ghostbusters. How fuck I... Well, how? Um, Hulu. No. I got Hulu. So I can do that. You got Hulu. That is a scary thing to be able to say. I got Hulu. What does that mean? I don't know. Okay, we'll click the green box whenever you're ready. <laughs> Hope you're ready for ads. No, nope, uh, the movies don't have ads. Good. I mean, I guess. Good. Dollars. Hmm. Chucks, as yes. I understand, you're, you're, you're on the receiving end, you're fading a little bit. I would like to impose upon you uh, recent experiences of board game flavors. Are you interested in hearing about these? I am indeed. Okay. So there were three games that I engaged with and played across two different audiences. That's true for two-thirds of those. That I'd like to speak about. Are you prepared to picture things in your mind and or pull up browser tabs to picture and illustrate what I am describing? Yes. Okay, cool. So the first game that is perhaps the most relatable and easy for, uh, again, dirty word, normies to engage with is Splendor. Splendor is what is qualified as an engine builder game. In that, every player, when they begin, begins shit broke, but they get to get resources and purchase assets that generate more resources that they get to win harder with. Splendor is heavily flavored as a mid-16th, 17th century Renaissance-era game where the white man gets to plunder the greater unexplored world and bring it back home to make precious gemstones. Uh, not to make it political or whatever, but the idea is Gems are the currency du jour. Uh, white, black, green, blue, red. And there are goals to reach for, but the idea is that every turn you can reach for the bank and borrow some coins. Or you can take some of the cards that are in play of perspective, uh, natural mineral mining variety, and then acquire those for yourself to create more minerals as you go on. Uh, it's all very disco. But the idea here is that shiny, pretty gem colors uh, make it fun to draw cards and play more shiny gem colors. Are, do you have a visual, Chucks? Have you pulled it mm -hmm. up at all? Yeah, I've pulled it up. Cool. So how does that look to you? It, From what I see, it's a card and chip-based collecting game. <clears throat> Looks very easy and generic and simple to come in and play. And according to what you're telling me, it sounds like something I'd be interested in. 
It's a very recent game, I would say, for board games. 2014, to me, is kind of recent. Uh, an expansion was done in 2017. So, I think yeah, it'd be something that's fun. It's a quadra expansion. I'm looking at it, but I'm not convinced by it, because it adds extra elements to the game. And, again, I'm being a little bit unfair here, but the idea is that I would crave more complexity from this game, and the expansion does offer a complexity in terms of player actions and choices in the middle of a session, but that doesn't mean it's more fun. It's just more shit that you can do with the stuff that you have without explicitly being a benefit or an entertainment value. So, yes, more exists for this game, but what it does is it's an easy onboarding Shiny rock must get, please give more coin, ooh, fun to handle game. If that makes sense. And yeah, I'd actually, I think I'd have fun playing with you, with you for a couple of times. But here's the undercurrent, if you're ready. Mm-hmm. I talked about this, I think, once before. But my point being, uh, somebody recommended that I acquire a game that is this game, but the next like complexity step, where the idea is you're getting assets to get more assets. But instead of being throttled at a points total value, like, hey, you know, once you get to 15 points, Splendor has its last turn. Whoever gets there first. The idea is the game lasts four turns. Period. And whoever wins the hardest wins the hardest. And there's factions, and there's chance, and there's randomization, all that. Right? The trouble is, uh, if that's what you're craving, that that cancels out Splendor. Period. But if all you want is to spend time with people and draw some gem cards and handle some tokens, which those chips feel pretty good, honestly, uh, that's where that game has to live. If you introduce more complexity, that's a different crowd. You're not going to have fun. So I've acquired it based on, hey guys, let's play board games. And here's an easy round one pick because it's not that hard to pick up and play. But now that you saw it, I just wanted to show it to you as an uh, example that this tier is occupied within the board game world. It's not Uno, it's not Monopoly, it's more engaging, but it also has a reasonably fixed set of complexity. Like, it lives where it lives, and it looks pretty nice, and long as you don't think about the colonial implications, it's a good time. All right. Next is game? that fair? Yeah. Next game. Yep. Oh, fuck. Okay, well, next game. Um... Next game is our family favorite right now. Period. Just it, this it, is good. Is good. It's called Carcassonne. Two S's. If you want to look that up, Carcassonne is a tile-based world builder game. It does have mechanics in terms of points gathering, but the joy of the game, as I interpret it so far, and my wife does as well, is that by the time you're done playing, you'll have made something collectively together. As temporary as it is, as a sand zen garden as it is, the joy of Carcassonne is you're making a landscape. The landscape has features. The features can be scored, and how you play or your opponents play against them changes the score output. But the coolest thing about Carcassonne is, again, when the tiles are all laid upon the table, you have made a map. It might have some gaps here and there, depending on what the players do, but there's an inherent value in having... Uh, well, fabricated something together. Chucks, are you, are you seeing the kinds of tiles that are involved yes, in the game? I do. How, how would you describe those? Uh, maybe one by one squares with topography on it a road, rivers, mountains, 
turning it into a map that either gets you to some sort of some form of fortification or sets it up to where trading I'm assuming can happen uh, with your players being able to cross on the roads is what it looks like uh, with you getting multiple pieces. And the, the draw order is always randomized. So the idea is you don't know what you're getting. But no matter what you draw, you can put it somewhere. Mathematically, pretty much certainty. You will be able to put it somewhere. And it's not what you think. For example, the most recent game that we had, uh, you see the walls and fortifications. As long as the walls are enclosed, that qualifies as a city. So you can match up two tiles that have just one half circle of a town. You can make these shitty little fort towns that have nothing in them, but there's walls and houses, so they count. And one of the players decided that they just want to make spec homes forever, so they just dotted the landscape with two tile towns, which are reasonably worthless, all things considered. But the change that made is late game, somebody could make a great use of the open space around those towns, the fields, for scoring opportunities. Which is not something that happens very often because many players are driven to make the biggest, most elaborate towns they can because more points happen that way. But somebody else there said, listen, man, trailer parks are welcome everywhere. I'm just going to shit out trailer park homes forever. And then somebody else said, great, because you did all that, I get a bunch of points at the end. So thanks, buddy. Carcassonne can be played competitively. I prefer to play it cooperatively, or at least for personal indulgence, because again, the landscape reveals itself. I acquired an expansion that I'm dubious about, but I'm curious about, which includes sheep and hills and vineyards. But the idea is, once again, people take turns laying tiles to fashion something unified that everyone stares at, and they get to make their own stories about what that thing is. And because of this, I find Carcassonne to be a fantastic game, irrespective of what your interests may be, because even if you're thinking, oh, this is lame. This is like pre-gunpowder bullshit. I hate this. Where are the spaceships? The mystery of how the landscape emerges is still sufficiently captivating to have someone participate. So Carcassonne is a powerful endorsement. Game that is intrinsically valuable to play. It's not about who wins, to me. It's about what you make together. Chucks, any any commentary? No. I... I think I think this would be fun. If like me and you sat down and played this, I think I, we would probably have a fucking blast. Good to hear. And we may have that chance at some point. <laughs> okay, uh, next game. This is the one that you'll like the most, uh, I think, based on what you have told me about yourself. Uh, Risk Legacy. Oh, we've talked about this one. This one looks really good. This is the one with the, the cavemen attacking giant mechs on the front. You start out with like, cavemen and you develop your society. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually that's, that's that's quite true. We got one session of that in, and it was the third session of three slash four that I had. And again, it was it was sequentially later in the evening. People are a little more tired, but Risk is accessible. Risk is not a difficult game to play. There was maybe a ten minute downtime of me reading ahead in the rule book, uh, as well as the sheer heartbreak of opening the box beginning to lay out some of the assets, because the world map is the world map. You know, you know what this world looks like. In Risk, it's, the territories are pretty well defined. Um, and then you have these hard cardboard faction cards of the different armies involved in this conflict. And the game flat out, I mean, it's, it instructs you, and the words make sense, but when you're doing it with your hands, it feels different. Um, it says, listen, you see how on your faction card there's this green bracket where a sticker goes? Okay, take this card where the game starts, 
There are two stickers on there. Uh, read them both. Pick the one you like the most. Stick that onto your faction card, and then rip the other one in fucking half. It's gone. Forever. You will never get that back. You can cheat the system, but the system says that this is a explicitly exclusive choice. Um, this is period. I remember seeing that. I remember I was talking about that. Funny thing is, I type in risk legacy, and guess what's the first risk that pops up? 40k. It is. <laughs> and that caught my eye because you like for I like the Warhammer universe. I like the fantasy more than I do 40k, but this looks exciting. Like, it really looks, exciting. <laughs> yeah, the, the art assets are terrific. But you could do Legacy 40k in this fashion, but they didn't do that. And Legacy is 10 years old. But it was, as far as I understand now, pretty much the originator of the format, which I'm very happy about. The problem is, Risk still plays like Risk. And once you get past the wallpaper, Risk still plays like Risk. But, Chucks, here, here's what happened, okay? Let, let, me, let me tell you this. Do you remember playing Risk at all? Yes, I remember playing Risk and Axis and Allies. Love both of them. How do you win at Risk? You have to have 80% of the globe at minimum. Okay. That's not how this works. Are you you listening? Are you receptive? Yeah, I'm receptive. I'm listening. I'm just looking at the price that you can buy it on GameStop for Risk Legacy. Yeah, more, more than you should. 60 bucks is about enough. 63, yeah. Oh, okay. Usually it's like 100 plus. Because the printings are limited. Here's the thing. You win a game of Risk Legacy by having four red stars. If you've never won a game of Risk Legacy, you start with one red star. You can obtain red stars by trading resource cards from your conquests for red stars. Or you can take over and gain possession of opponent's headquarters tiles for a red star. So the first game got won by, what's the permutation here? My father-in-law's partner, question mark? His girlfriend. She won. Yeah, she won. She she got the first victory by taking over two headquarters that weren't hers, which gave her two additional red stars. Her HQ counts as one red star, and she never won, so she has a fourth red star. The game finished. So the games are shorter than you think, because Risk is allegedly a game that drags on because nobody wants to surrender their patch of dirt, and then the war must continue. But she won! So as a result, none of the other three players were eliminated. They clung in there. They hanged on. The advantage is, she gets to read from a menu of things that happened to the world because she was the winner. Uh, Automatically, she receives a missile! And missiles affect attack dice, but that's not a huge thing. But if you keep winning, like you get a bunch of extra resources nobody else has, so you just nuke everything. Uh, but she also gets to read through the menu and select, I either want to affect how a continent works, or I want to found a major city, or I want to name a continent for myself, or etc., etc., etc. There's, there's this big perks for being a winner. And then the people that survived that weren't eliminated, they also get minor perks. So our game world got affected permanently after one game by having population centers that are troop sinks initially, but can found additional armies as they go on. And her particular faction is such that she just gets more people because they're populous. I played the bear dudes. I played the uh, the highly aggressive folk that spread, that started somewhere around Mongolia, but they definitely took over the, the Middle East and decided this is, the cradle of humanity is where they ought to be. It just feels kin to them. 
And uh, what's weird is you can, as players, change factions as you keep playing. But if you were to be invested, those factions perform as you design them, and they get to change and mutate over time. I'm very excited about the fourth game uh, because one of the pockets in the game box that is sealed that we haven't torn open because we're honest Christian folk, that's a lie, it says only open this when three missiles are used in the same attack phase. Which means that if I convince everyone just right at the fourth game to just commit all the missiles at one attack, whether they're belonging to the same player or not, we get to unlock more of the game, and the gameplay is different. And getting to populate, tear up, mark with a felt pen, etc., affect this game world feels extremely satisfying, at least to me. Everyone else, they're still kind of on the outside shores of this, but the idea of the legacy format, hey, the game changes as you play it, it it's entering their consciousness. And I very much value that. I think that's extremely satisfying. But uh, Chuck's Man, based on the images you saw, based upon what you saw, does this seem fun to you? Because you're still playing Risk until you're not. Uh, yes. I, I So... Weird thing, I like Risk. It takes a very long time. Axis and Allies takes an extremely long time. For some reason, board games that take a long time, I enjoy highly. Monopoly, my favorite fucking board game. But all you're doing is throwing dice. And? You got, you got So to me, it's a strategy. Like, you gotta strategize. Who do you want to attack? It's boring! It's boring! <laughs> no. I enjoy the strategy. Do I need to buy this? And, can, and once I buy both of these, what's the odds that the players land on these? And there is a strategy to play a Monopoly, and that's what I love about it. Uh, same with Risk and Axis and Allies. Do I have the oil supply? Do I have the right men to take this island? Do I have uh, Do I have enough power? Can if, Or are the dice going to be on my side? Where do I need to attack, and how do I move? Um, I love those games. Um I think this would be fun if it's like like you, the way you were explaining it. I think I would enjoy Risk Legacy a lot. At the same time, you were mentioning Risk Legacy. Uh, it brought up Splendor on GameStop. But do you want to guess what version of Splendor it brought up, sir? Uh, Marvel. It did. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know it's, why, but it looks fun. Well, because you recognize it. Well, well not just recognize it. I, I like comic books, too. So it's just, oh, it, it hits me in a spot. But it, it's the same concept. Yeah. If that's what it takes, fucking yeah, that one. We'll we'll get that one. We'll play that because you think, ooh, 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 oh. familiar characters. But then the game happens, and maybe you get to love the game instead of the characters. Oh no, don't get me wrong. The, the concept of regular Splendor being uh, an Italian, well, if you an Italian businessman of uh, depending on which Italian state could be papal states, could be Venice, could be Florence, could be Sicily, could be any of them. Um, all papacy. It's all papacy. It yeah, it's all papacy in the end. Yeah. Um, that idea also intrigues me a lot because I'm a history nerd here too. Um, sure. It, and, that, and that piques my interest. The beautiful path here is mm -hmm. that we get that out of our system. I get to say, cool motherfucker, pandemic Cold War style, let's do it! And you say, oh, I, I know I know how this looks. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. As opposed to, what is this glom haven? I don't, what are these fucking cardboard tokens? I don't get this. I don't like this. I'm going home. I have to walk you through the shoals of early board game literacy before we get to the stuff that I want to get to. And there's there, there's a bizarre thing. For example, I'm sorry to sideline as I always do. Uh, 
I got into Arkham Horror, the card game, like two months before I was supposed to. Do you know why? Why? Okay, so the company responsible for this thing used to publish the core box by saying, hey, this game is for one to two players. Buy a second box if you want to play with more. And here's some more expansions. But now, at this time, because, you know, fate is funny that way they have released a revised box which is one to four players at just under double the price with more cards and more options so this is like the revival push uh after they've been out for five years so now is a really good time to get into that game if you dig it which you don't know chucks personally you don't know you haven't played it but uh mm-hmm. odds are if you ever like connect in some way we will but the idea is Right now is a great time to get the shit you didn't know that you wanted because they'll be available in convenient packages versus trying to nail down, hey, this expansion set has eight pieces, one starting box, six expansion packs, and one return to box. So give me $200 and I'll get you all the shit. Wait, hang on. What's that? You're missing parts four and five? I guess fuck off. You'll never get to see the whole thing. Name of the uh, Arkham Horror, right? Arkham Horror, the card game. Yes. Okay. Uh, Have you seen... That they made a video game. It came out earlier this year. Uh, I mean, yes, but no. It's it the, the words shared and theming do co-align, but they're not the same experience. Yes, I've seen the Sunken City. Yes, I've seen the other Arkham games. I've even seen Undying and all the other previous games in the early aughts at late 90s. Different Different things. But I respect the fact that the flavor is maintained. And once again, returning to three hours ago, uh, HP Lovecraft is a open source property. Yes, because so, he was a broke bitch and he couldn't afford to keep the rights to his stuff. That's right. That's right. Being broke bitch mattered a lot. And I hate the fact that that's true, but I'm going to benefit off of it anyway. It, it's nuts to think that the man made no money off of his stories that he wrote and his stories didn't become popular until 20 years after his death. Hey, listen. Chucks, if we're being real, that's every scientist ever. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's not a hack. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I got a game. Board, it's kind of a board game. Have you ever heard of the game Seen It? No. S C E N E? Yes. It's a movie game. It's a movie trivia game. Okay. I, I hate everything I've seen so far, but talk to me about it. Uh, I love playing this as a kid. Uh, actually, there's a funny story behind uh, it. Uh, I was playing uh, Seen It one time, and it was Disney Seen It, because I was playing with my family, and I was younger. I was like 13, 14, and I fucked up. Instead of saying Pocahontas, I said Pinocchio. I said, who's Pinocchio's grandmother? And everybody's like, hold on. They took a guess. I'm like, no, nah, it's Grandmother Willow. And my dad's like, hold on a fucking minute, dumbass. It's Pocahontas. Uh so there's a funny story behind it. But I love the game just for the fact that it tests your movie trivia. And I think putting two minds like myself and yours against each other uh, would be fun. The only issue is it's DVD. They never came out with a Blu-ray edition. I understand. And it's hard to get the, the paper slash cardboard versions too. Yeah. Uh, the challenge and activity is appealing. But just, just to examine this. I'm, I'm looking at what I'm looking at, and my senses are saying you don't want this, even though I want the interaction with you, because the game itself seems sufficiently arbitrary, whereas, I mean, it's actually no more arbitrary than Splendor, but somehow I'm attracted to Splendor more for being cohesive than, put these pieces down, they're brightly colored, let's talk about movies, wow! But there's nothing tying itself together. Yeah. Seeming. And 
that's a weakness that I possess. I, I, I don't know why this is repulsive versus attractive, but I still honor the fact that you say, I want to try it out, Brow. And I go, yeah, cool. I want that. I hate that this is what this is, but it's worth it. Um, if that makes sense. Reason- versus... Go ahead. No, no, no. The reason it brought it up, so I'm still on GameStop and I was looking at all the board games and they have a Blockbuster board game and that's what made me think of it. I'm like, I wonder what the heck the Blockbuster game is about. I was like, oh shit, I forgot about seeing it. And I looked up seeing it and so it just popped in my head. So I thought I'd talk to you about it. It's perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly valid because it presents a challenge and interaction that is good. It's positive. It's, it's helpful even. Adversarial, sure. Somebody gets more points. It's no Carcassonne, just saying that. But you remembered it, and you want it, and that causes desire within you to interact with somebody else. Happy thing. But if I say, hey, dude, how about this thing? And I name a game that's specific and has a world and rules and settings, you go, I have no connection to this. I don't, I don't care. I have to sell you the care. You have to learn to want to play with this set of parameters. As opposed to, hey, I already know movies. And this cardboard says, I get to have points for that. Great, I'll just do that. No, no, don't get me wrong. It is pretty basic. It, it is more along the lines of, uh, for me, it was competitive why I liked it. I could be competitive and I could push my movie knowledge. And my dad being who my dad, dad is, uh, watched a lot of films with us growing up. So we got a lot of classic films in our head. So going against me and my brother, my stepmom, my dad, it, it was fun as a kid. Uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, if I look back at it now, it's probably outdated and because it's DVDs and it was the early 2000s. So it's probably n- not getting anything. They did make a Twilight version of it. Uh, well, the, the format is janky, but the core of what it represents still holds true. Yes, And that's, at least, I, I find great challenge in hearing this. And I, I get the person's point. It's just, it's hard for me to inhabit. My father-in-law says, yeah, the game doesn't fucking matter. The fact that we're together interacting, that's what's the important part. And I, I reflect a piece of that because the, the fellowship is exactly what I'm after. But the format, the rules, the pieces, the interactions, those all still have value and they should be observed. To my mind, other people might say, what's this, Battlestar Galactica? Okay, who gives a fuck? Let's sit down, get some brews and play. Woo! And that could be the thing. But then on the other extreme end, it's people who hate everyone else that's playing, but they care about the game much like video games, uh, but they, they they suffer the companionship for the sake of being able to participate. Like Back for Blood. I like the parts in between, but I lean closer to the game matters, let's all observe it, participate, and be part of it. And that's why Disney's seen it, or some other per- permutation of the same kind of challenge game, or trivia game, uh, the part where everyone else playing recognizes what's happening and are having fun, that's the more valuable part. But I can't ignore the part, at least in totality, where I look at what's happening and I think, boy, this format could be done better somewhere else. Oh, it could so, be done a lot better. That, 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 that's my tension, is I spite the game even though I crave what it delivers. And that's a, that, that, that's a fault of mine. It's me saying... Yeah, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is pretty cool, but Pathfinder is where it's at. And everyone else on the table gets to say, well, fuck you, go home. We're here for what we know. But don't you guys want to learn something else? No. No, we don't. Go home. Oh, boy. So that's the sacrifice that I make. I get you. And other people don't even 
it, that never triggers. It's, okay, we're all together. That's the part that matters. What are we doing? This? Okay, I don't know what this is, but we're together. So that's the part that I like. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, um, yeah, um, look who's talking to. Yeah, there you go. I won. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think what, what you're mentioning about the companionship in the world building is why I'm drawn to wanting to play D&D. Um, you, you get the same, almost the same with video games, with RPGs like uh, MMORPGs. Hate to bring it up. Uh, Neverwinter. I enjoyed that once I enjoyed it more, once I got a team together, but once they updated it, everybody got off of it. Um, but I think the world of D&D is so interesting because you get to explore new worlds while you're with a group of friends and you have to imagine what the world looks like along with what the dungeon master is telling you like at the same time. And maybe that's the more valuable part, honestly. There's a, there's a fellow that I mentioned before several times called Mr. Welch. And he's been a notorious figure within the market of role-playing games, tabletop-wise. And this man has been advocating for and trying to uh, formalize and repurchase Mistara as a setting. He's got a channel, Mistara, Mr. Welch, look it up, YouTube. He is so vehemently militant as he comes off about the setting and the format that it almost makes you sort of upset slash angry that he's anger pressing this into quality existence. Like you'll want to resent the guy for feeling the way he does or expressing it for wanting to share a setting with others. But his entire emotional standpoint or rational standpoint is surfaced upon the fact that everyone else goes, yeah, man, I love Faerun because that's what was most marketed and most successful, like a, a sliver of what D&D could be. And then he's saying, no, you stupid fucks, this world right here does everything better. Look at this thing instead. Stop buying what you're marketed. Try this. Now, that's not the answer, because that's not going to get as many people as you want to be part of whatever you want to share with other people. But the anger is also justifiable, because I'm sure there's a better form of seeing it, to me, as I'm looking at it, that I don't know about. But if I were to see it, I'd say, cool, chucks, let's play this version. But then you have to make the leap saying, but I already have the one that I want. This works perfectly fine. Why do you have to complicate it by saying, try this? So it's it's barriers to fellowship instead of unifying around something. Which is why it's helpful to me, at the very least, to try and find something that's different enough, unique enough, if you will, to say, oh, there's no comparison I have to whatever this is, so let's go find out. As opposed to, yeah, this is like an off-brand thing of whatever I know, so you suck. I mean, don't get me wrong, if it's an off-brand... Of so luckily for me, uh, I'm not one of those people. If someone's like, hey, this is fun, um, minus that I don't know what it is, like a board game or something or a video game, I'll try it. I'm not one of those that looks at the box art and goes, oh, it's kind of shit. Um, someone's like, no, it's fun. I'll give it a whirl. The few things I won't do is like, let's go base jumping. No, it's fun. Fuck off. I'm white. I haven't done it before. Um, I've seen things like this. I'm going to hit every rock going down. So uh, no, not going to do that. Board games, on the other hand, completely different it could have a giant penis on the cover and say it's disney princesses find the dicks in the cover video game or you know board game um you have to spot them all in whatever's picture they give you i could care less if it's fun and i'm with people i'm probably gonna sit there and go fuck it i'll try it but i know the people you're talking about though like well i'm here for this meh no fuck off try something new if you don't try something new you'll never learn and get to experience the world the right way i i agree with you but i'm Unfortunately, I'm more often one of those people you mentioned where try something new is 
my library happens to have more entries than yours does. So to you, it's new, but to me, this is old hat. So that's the compromise of socializing and finding ways to make allowances for other people where sometimes they go, yeah, sure, I'll put on the VR headset and help circle penises with you in the background. It's, it's not what I, I'm into, but we're here, so let's do it. So my question would be, uh, I lost it actually, but here's my sub question. When it comes to saying, hey, Chucks, I'm showing up on your doorstep and we're playing this board game, uh, what would be something that you would refuse upon and say, I don't care how cool it is that we're doing this, leave, because you brought DC into my Marvel household, or some equivalent thereof? Is there a barrier where you say, based on what's being portrayed, just no? Is that a card featuring Muhammad? Die! No. Like I said, uh, until I play it, I won't know if I don't like it. So that's the one thing I like about not with board games and being new or Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know the world. So getting to talk to people and getting their understanding on how exciting it is makes me excited. So if like, say if I all of a sudden popped, like you said, popped up at your doorstep, like, hey, it's D&D night, man. Come along. Oh, my character's going to suck. Don't worry. We'll carry you. And I know you never played. We're going to help you out. I'm there. Like, yeah, I may not have the figurine that you guys can move along. Um, it may just be an origami like crane or something. And I may not know what my character does 100%, but until I play it, I won't know if I like it. And that's why I, when I pick up a lot of games, like on Game Pass and stuff, like it looks stupid, but I'm going to try it. And there are a lot of games that happen that way. But just because it looks dumb doesn't always mean it's going to be dumb. Some of my favorite games that are not sports games are games that look dumb or were dumb back in the day, like Glover or Gex or um dolphin the echo the dolphin like looks so stupid it's just a fucking dolphin on a cover of a goddamn sega game had a lot of fun with it but if i just made that assumption because there's just a fucking dolphin on there and i didn't try it i wouldn't know how good it was or i enjoyed it and how hard it was i didn't know what i was doing but i enjoyed just swimming around as a dolphin as like a four-year-old kid you didn't know you had the option wait i can be fun to swim around it's not dumb anymore now it's captivating i want to see what it's like to be a dolphin based upon this set of rules yeah cool let's do it and then to your schoolyard friends you'd say oh this is dumb i don't like it no, i but never talked to anybody about the video games i played minus resident evil i talked a lot about resident evil 3 such a yeah. good game um but you know that the, the resident evil near and dear to my heart but playing with like so playing a board game with you like you said you have an in-depth library and to you you might be like that's eh, an old game and I'd be like, hey, you know what? Just pull out something and show me. I'm probably going to have fun with it. Just because you're like, yeah, it's a good game. But, you know, I've already played this, so I know what the rules are. And cool, like, I have someone there, since I've never played it, that I can be like, hey, look, I know you might be the head guy and not supposed to help out. Uh, what are the stipulations that I can and can't do here? It might be boring for you until I catch on, but it's going to be fun for me if I'm having fun with somebody else at the same time like hey look i know i suck at it but just give me a bit and i'll get good at it once i everything clicks and that's yeah. just fun because i'm learning something new and i enjoy learning i just hate it in a classroom setting uh and that's what i think board games bring to to people games in general bring that to people it can be fun if you're willing to just set aside whatever you may think and just try it now once you get into it and you play a full game of it and you're like eh, this is actually kind of shit and you both go, yeah, well, actually it is. It's not bad. There's a better version, though. 
I'm going to go, you know what? I'm willing to take that risk. I'm just never coming back to that. Right. And there's, uh, regrettably, there, there are popular games that are accessible slash marketed more heavily, like Telestrations After Dark and Apples to Apples, which are friendly enough, but they have a lot of caveats that don't make them good games. They're just more about, again, fellowship and interaction. So I'm going to use Carcassonne as an example. Uh, if I were to play with you, the format of the game that I have right now features something called The River. And the game starts with The River explicitly. And what we would do, you and I, if the two of us are playing, that I would lay out the mouth of the river and we would draw tiles from the separate random stack of river components that would continue on and lay down the river in the game. It would have twists and turns and a terminus, and that's the feature that we just laid down before we get to the main stack of other tiles that exist. And if I were an asshole, I would, without telling you, start scoring features along the path of that river because I'm trying to win hardest, but I wouldn't do that because you have no context of what this is. So for game one, we're just, you and I, we're just making a fucking river together. That's all there is. And then we make the landscape around that. And then that becomes apparent to you. So the next time you go, hey, like there's a monastery tile on the riverbank. And I get to say, yeah, next time we play, go ahead and score that. That's cool. But now you understand what's happening why it's happening, and where it's going. And that builds connective tissue, let's call it, between you and I and whatever participants exist. The game is a set of mechanics as an abstraction that you and I and others that are playing get to make matter in some fashion. Because it could be disposable. It could be just, yeah, I'm, I'm performing physical actions while I'm spending time with people that I care for. Or it could be that we're pursuing a narrative thread or I'm trying to flex on these mechanics that I understand or whatever. S- some form of ego stroking is taking place, for sure. But the fact that we can even have the artifice and access to things that require human interaction to work, and then on top of that, we get to build meaning together, that's pretty special. That's why this particular subgenre of interest that I have has really taken off because the last 15 years have been highly generous very generous to whatever this is. I'm going to bring up briefly Dominion, which is a game that I see like 12 boxes for altogether. That's kind of a shame because Dominion was basically the, the, the originator of the deck building game format. And and being the first to the to the market doesn't make you the best at the market. You're the first one there, right? Mm-hmm. So Dominion has 14 different fucking expansion flavors. But by and large, the consensus of the community that enjoy these kinds of things uh, don't. There's nothing here for you. If you like board games, if you like deck builders, if you like things, just skip Dominion. It's a shame. It's the pioneer. It's the first one there. I mean, it's good. But every other entrant on the market has done this so much differently slash better that playing the base experience is going to be bland for you unengaging, unrewarding. So if you buy additional pieces to make it more complicated, which is something that somebody else offers in their starting box, just out of the gate. Which, if you didn't know any better, and I said, Chucks, let's play Dominion, because you don't know, we could have fun there. But if I know what's up and you don't, then it's me being patient, like you say, saying, I'm not going to like play to crush you or whatever. We're just going to see how this works so that when we're done, you get to say, wow, cool, that was really nice. Is there more? Does it get more complicated as it go places? And I get to say, yes. And the choices are an evolution of whatever this is, 
or a competitor or a different take on whatever this is, which is, again, circling back, which is why I'm choosing Risk Legacy as the er-granddaddy of legacy games to say this game is played by moving dudes and rolling dice, and that's all. But the game grows, so that when we get to other games that have extra orders of magnitude of complexity, you know what's up with the game, and you're also excited about how this changes afterwards. Which is a whole lot of words for, yeah, man, Friends is valuable and board games is good. Fucking get in it. I think that that's the one thing I like about board games. Uh, the big downfall to video games is that when you're playing online, if you're not good enough, people get pissy and we're like, ah, get out of here. And with board games, it's everybody wants to help each other because in the end, you want to have that fun experience and it requires all the players to be involved and to have that fun experience. So instead of trying to just crush them, you're like, okay, well, I got to make sure they're they're good, they're set up, they know what they're doing. Because if they don't know what they're doing, this experience is going to suck really bad. Spoken like a man who has not yet played Pandemic. I have not played Pandemic yet. I'm pretty sure in Pandemic you want to crush your opponent, but I don't know. Uh, I wanted to say that you and I have been talking about a concept that... uh... If somebody's listening and wants a license out from under us, uh, the workshop name has been They're Coming for a concept for a board game. But if this is something we want to pursue into our late 40s or 50s, we could still do. Just a version of that already exists, whereas it's called Pandemic Fall of Rome. And it is a, a take on the idea of an inexorable force that is doing everything possible to press your empire backwards. And you have a chance to beat it back, but if you don't do it right, it's just going to be bad times forever. Yes. But I just want to signpost that that is a, a, a cool thing that we can look into and then maybe one day bond over and touch penis tips. Indeed. Uh, by the way, I've, I've been fleshing out the story for the board game for a while, for a couple of days. I believe you. I mean, I don't, but I believe you. I have. Uh, I was watching something on Dune. And it made me th- it was think about this because I was thinking about, well, what's the story? How are we going to evolve the story if we weren't going to do? Because uh, it came up as a historical concept of uh, a horde, a great horde. Like if it was Rome, it would be the Goths coming in. If you were uh, Europe during the, you know, early 1000s, it would be the Mongols or Attila the Hun with Rome too, if you want to do that. Um, but I thought of a fantasy version of it. And I will uh, pitch that to you one day and to make you think on the early draft that I have in my head. Sounds good. Fala, I recommend we land this bitch. I do too. One of the two of us is going to piss themselves. And I'm betting it's you. No, I haven't been able to drink much all day. I've had my one meal and two drinks. That's That sounds terrific. Please don't do that ever again to yourself. Uh, well, we haven't mastered the idea of pausing and re-splicing pieces of recording together. So for now, this is all uh, One Take Willy Wonderland, which is a great Nick Cage film as far as I hear. Do you have any uh, prognostications outside of The Fugitive for the future? Uh, I have a couple games I'd like to play or have us play together or watch. Or one of us play and the other one watches and talk while we do it. Okay. I guess we'll leave that a mystery up until that happens then. Indeed. Well, motherfucker, what's your name? I am Nutchucks. Oh, well, I, I guess that makes me browbeat. All right, till next time, guys. We'll see you then. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever the hell you get your podcast. And if you guys want to see us play a game or have any recommendations of what you want us to talk about, 
can always hit us up on those and let us know. Till next time.